He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, July 15, 2023. We have a sensational episode 157, Love Has a Way. That's the song by our troubadour, Dave Gunders, and it's the perfect entree to our man in Ukraine, John Jackson. He does it for the love, the love of freedom. This man from Atlanta by way of South Africa and his adult move to Denver. He is now in Ukraine reporting live from the field, not just this show, but in shows to come. He comes up after Bob Marshall. Bob Marshall featured on episode 99. Give that a listen. What background this Marine, this lawyer, this first time legislator from Highlands Ranch. Can you believe it? A Democrat from Highlands Ranch, my client, Bob Marshall, our man in the state house. He brings up our woman in the Senate. That's Rhonda Fields. Listen to his story about that. But first, listen to our troubadour, Dave Gunders. Our man of music brings us Love Has a Way. Love Has a Way of driving John Jackson to Ukraine. That's the beautiful thing about podcasts, and I wrote about them because some are specialized with federal prosecutors analyzing Jack Smith. I wrote about it in the Colorado Sun. This week, I'm going to write about continuances. Gosh, I've spent half my life in courts talking about either wanting or opposing a continuance, watching judges rule on those issues. You will hear me discuss that. But first, without any further continuance, give a listen to Dave Gunders talking about Love Has a Way. After that, hear a brief word from our beautiful sponsor, Michael Bailey. And then we have Representative Bob Marshall, followed by John Jackson. And it's okay if you skip around or play us at double speed or triple speed on Spotify. Go to the parts you like, but this song by Dave Gunders, our semi-discovered genius. Tell me if it's not a beautiful song. Hear our discussion first of the great events of the week. Down with Putin, up with Ukraine. Go Joe Biden. Holy cow, we can't afford another Donald Trump administration. And Ukraine especially can't. Let's talk about it first. Our troubadour. Dave Gunders, love has a way. Craig. Troubadour. How are you? Good. How do you do it? A beautiful song week after week. I think I know the answer this week. Okay. Love has a way. Yes, that's how we do it. That's how that, you do it. That's that's how we all do it. Make our way. Oh, I get it. If you make love, then it makes the world go round. It does. Beautiful. Well, 
And this friends. song is about is about is 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 the heal is about the healing power of love when someone's been um, faced with tragedy, loss. And, well, you uh, used the right word, and it was a powerful word, and it's power. Love is the power, right? So. Well, that's what the song. This song is a is is meant to be a a salve, a way a way of um, um, presenting a positive. Right, um, but you strengthen the will. You talk about strengthening the will. I've got guests this yeah. week. You can't believe. Do you know what show we're up to? Episode one one five seven. We we blew by our three year anniversary. We blew by the Fourth of July. It's episode 157, but here's the thing. I have developed a roster of stars. First of all, our man of music, our troubadour, Dave Gunders. That's you. Then I have our man in Israel, Ken Toltz. Things are heating up there. I can call him any week. And then I have our man in the State House, Bob Marshall. He's our star guest this week. He's Got another lawsuit going. He's in the middle of everything. You know what happened to that guy who sucker punched him in the head? And we got 25K, even though Bob got to bip him back twice. Do you know what's happened to that guy? Where is he? He's now the head of the Douglas County Republican Party. You're going to hear all about it. But we also have our man in Ukraine. And that's this guy, John Jackson, who comes up right after Bob Marshall. Names out of Central Casting. John Jackson is my new best friend. Sorry, but I met him on Twitter, and the guy's over in Ukraine, and he's putting his life on the line. And you know why? Tell me. He's He's from Atlanta, Georgia, where Martin Luther King is from, and freedom fighters are from. And you know what he loves? He loves freedom. He loves freedom for all people. So... That's well, how you your song fits. You go, to, you, you go to Ukraine, you're putting your life on the line for freedom. Some for another another country's freedom. Correct. That's amazing. Because what did Martin Luther King say? He said, "Injustice anywhere, yes, is injustice. Well, it needs to be addressed." Right. And he he had quite a background. His dad kidnapped him when he was young, took him to South Africa back in in apartheid day. So he's got some experiences we don't, including some military training. And so he's of an age where he can fight. He can fight on the information battlefront and also in Kherson, in Kiev. And by carrying arms, he's getting paid by the Ukrainian armed forces now. And he's my guest after Bob Marshall. And it's one of those overpacked shows that Holy cow, have you followed what's going on in Ukraine this week? No, Greg. It's a beautiful thing. Joe Biden went over there and on the doorstep of Russia, he said, screw you, Putin. You've already lost this war. And Finland, Finland, Helsinki is their capital where Russia was kind of dominant. That's why they would meet us there. They took a side now. They said, screw you, Vlad Putin. We're going with Joe Biden and NATO. Sweden, Finland, we got Erdogan to relent and let them in. So now all of Europe is united against Putin. 
And Joe Biden over there in Europe said, you know what, bad Vlad, you've already lost. This war is a loser. And it's just a matter of time before you give up. So that's great news. But the problem is Ukrainians are still dying in reality. Right. And so how, how are they going to get through? I think love has a way. They got to be strong. They got to see that the world is behind them. And the way I heard Biden say it, Zelensky and Ukraine are not NATO now, but within six months, probably so. Probably. Well, I didn't hear a time frame. I know that there's that that's you know that seems to be the the trend, the writing on the wall. And um, Ukraine may might well be a a NATO member. I think if they didn't think it would be you know an incendiary kind of move. Now, what would be? I mean, you you wonder really what the repercussions would be. Um, Well, you know, the thing is, before you can join a union, it's sort of like joining the National Football League. That's a crude, bad example, but roughly the same amount of countries. You have to show that you have solid ownership. You have to show you'll be competitive. You have to show you won't cheat. So Ukraine really did have a problem with corruption back in the day, but there have been a lot of reforms. I had my buddy Tim Timkovich on, chief judge of the Tenth Circuit, who has a Ukrainian background, and he went over there and he trained these guys, and they made those reforms. That's why Putin hates them so much, because they were going toward democracy, toward the West, and he just couldn't stand it on his doorstep because it proves that it's the better system and nobody wants to see that, right? So instead, he's going to make life miserable for everybody. What an asshole, but that's what they're up against. Well, he's certainly done that, and more than his share. And I hope what I and I hope what Biden says is true and comes to resolution sooner than we think. The problem but, is, uh, if Trump wins, then Ukraine loses. He'll give up right away. There won't be that support. So much is on the line. I put my hopes in, uh, you know, Jack Smith. My Colorado Sun column, the last one I wrote, oh, my God, the hits I got on it. My Twitter promo, maybe because I tagged the right people, 315,000 views. That's not normal. That's a lot. Well, word's getting out, Mr. Silverman. Well, I'm trying to put out the word on great podcasts, you know, other than mine. Just, uh, I, you know how obsessed I am with court action against Trump, but... My latest Colorado Sun column, the one I'm going to write this weekend while everybody's listening to this show, I don't see how these cases come to trial before the election, no matter who the judge or the prosecutor is. So that's a big problem. You know what right. I mean? Right. Well, I mean, we, I mean, you said early on you didn't think that the case would come to trial before the election. Well, if they keep slowing it down, the slower you go, the less chance you have. I'm just familiar with all sorts of ways to stall and delay. Right. I love this podcast because we put it out every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. That's a deadline. That's why I like tea times in tournaments, right? It really happens at that time. Radio shows, too. But there are other things where there's wiggle room, like a rock concert, right? I mean... I bet sometimes people don't show up. You're never that late, but you know what I mean? There are some things that can be delayed, some can't. And I'm telling you, I've never met a court case that can't be delayed 
right a few times especially when you're donald trump and you have your 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 whole uh your whole team of 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 delaying lawyers behind you i mean he's that's his expertise and here's my expertise and you don't have to be an expert but on tuesday Judge Eileen Cannon, who already ruled ridiculously for Donald Trump on the Mar-a-Lago search, saying he had some former presidential exemption, and the Court of Appeals said, what are you kidding? So already she's proved she's not that smart, and she's biased for Trump. Now, she's the judge who needs to decide, well, what am I going to set it? Jack Smith, the prosecutor, said, let's set it in December. That's plenty of time. You know when Donald Trump's team said to set it? No. They asked for the 12th of never. <laughs> I mean, they said, like the guy's running for president, we can revisit this after the election. Of course, if he wins, there ain't going to be any more prosecution because he'll be in charge of the Department of Justice. So she has to make a call. And even if she sets it in January or February or whenever, It'll get continued. It won't go on the first time. And you can't blame her. She's really never done a trial before. This would be the most complicated, important trial in American history. And if the guy's convicted, then she needs to sentence the guy who appointed her to prison for the first time in American history. I can't see the woman going from that first move she made to being the opposite. Can you? Right. Right. No, no, it's frustrating. But, you know, not the first time that our legal system is is ground down to a crawl. And, you know, it happens in criminal cases. It happens in civil cases. It's unfortunate. I know. That's my profession. And I think maybe it could have saved us. But the indictment makes shake loose things. And Maybe some other defendants will go to trial earlier, like Rudy Giuliani or Jenna Ellis. You know, Jenna well, Ellis is in the crosshairs. This is all fascinating to watch. And if you read my last column, I recommend podcasts like Jack, which comes out every Sunday, which just covers the latest week of Jack Smith news, because that guy's got a lot of power. Back to your song and the power of love. And I'm telling you, Jack Smith looks a lot like John Jackson. I did a Zoom call with John. This is an audio podcast, but they've got that look of uh, a guy who wants to fight in a war. You know what I mean? With that beard and that combat-ready look. Uh, Kind of the opposite of the way I look. (laughs) Well... Well, that's you're doing your own fight here. You're fighting your own fight, and, uh, and uh, I think it has a lot of value. So that's what I, yeah. huh? That's what I told John Jackson. I sure. said I'm a senior now, and senior, if I went to keep, all I would do is get in the way. Really? Well, you're doing what you can right here. I yeah. do think it's important. You are a big part of it. Before we get to our guests, I want everybody to hear your beautiful song, Love Has Way. Who are those angels singing with you on this song? Those are my daughters. And uh, just a very quick quick story on this one. Then the, the song was, the, the, the inception of the song was, I have a very dear friend who lost a son in a, to a tragic accident. And I wrote, the, the, the song had completely different lyrics. And my daughter, Rachel, who was seven at the time, I sang it for her. And she listened and she looked up at me after the, after the, uh, 
after I'd sang the song and she said, daddy, are you going to sing, sing that song to Deb and Steve? And I said, well, that's my intention. Yeah, Ray. Why? And she looks at me and she shakes her head and she goes, you can't sing those lyrics. They're too sad. And I, it's like, you talk about from the mouth of babes. And I thought about what she said. I wrote lyrics completely from a different angle, which is, you know, the, the, the healing power of love and um, a more uplifting kind of, kind of approach. And uh, anyway, I, I thank Rachel for, for that. And it's cool how you call her Ray, at least yeah. half for more than half of the time. And do you realize how many times in your songs you talk about the Ray of the sun? That's right, the rays of the sun. Right, yeah. in the, right in this song we're about to hear. There's a reference. I know you love your beautiful daughter, Sarah, and Rachel, and their father, Dave Gunders, our troubadour, our man of music. Thank you, Dave Gunders. Shabbat Shalom. Have a great night. Shabbat Shalom, Craig.
Cause love, love has a way of healing the heart It strengthens the will when our spirit lies broken Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, Instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Okay, this is a long-time winner. He gets welcomed back to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. His name is Robert Marshall. I know him as Bob. Bob Marshall represents Highlands Ranch now in the state legislature. I knew him before that when he was a candidate, a victim of an assault, falsely accused. I wrote a column about it. November 22, 2022 is the day it got published. How a Democrat won in Highlands Ranch was the title, and he's been a guest on the podcast. Episode 99, he co-starred with John Morse, and you could go back to that to learn all about Bob Marshall, learn he grew up a rock rib Republican. 
in a household full of Republicans in Evergreen. He went to Cornell. He got he went to Georgetown. He got a law degree. He became a Marine. He served for nearly three decades in that role. He voted for Republicans till he got pissed off at a guy named Donald Trump. And then he got super pissed off and he decided to take action and he walked a busy uh, intersection in Highlands Ranch in a lawful way. But it led to some MAGA people assaulting him. I got to represent him. So I am his lawyer. He's our man in the House, Rhonda Fields, our woman in the Senate. John Jackson, our man in Ukraine. But it's an honor to have you back, Representative Bob Marshall, after your term of service, your first legislative session. How the heck are you? I'm doing outstanding. And... Are you a new man since you served your term? Did it change you? Uh, no, you learned. You get farther along. I didn't know everyone's, was it everything you expected? But um, I had no expectations. So really, <laughs> my expe- you know, that's the best way to go through life is it's expectation management. If your expectations are exceeded, you're happy. And if they're not, you're unhappy. So I had none. So uh, things worked out really well, I think. All right. I need to probe your expertise because you're wearing a Semper Fi shirt. You have your military background. You also worked for the IRS as an attorney. You've done so many things. You worked for a big law firm. You worked for legendary Judge Seiler, prominent Republican. I just have to ask you about some events going on right now. This holdup of uh, promotions by Tommy Tuberville in the military. Have you ever seen anything like it? Does it bother you? Uh, yeah, it bothers me a bit. I, to be honest, I haven't been able to focus or you know, look too closely at what's going on with that. I know a lot of people are kind of upset with it. You know, like I said, the first time in history, they, we don't have a commandant right now for the Marine Corps, which is pretty, uh, you know, a pretty serious issue. Um, but my, as you may guess, my attention's been elsewhere for the past few weeks. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's disturbing. Again, um, once again, and it's the same thing I'm seeing quite a bit is people putting their own parochial interests above uh, the institutional interests. All right. Now, I want to know if this is serious or not. The tax enforcement issue involving Hunter Biden. Again, you could take a pass, but people say, hey, he's getting the common punishment for the kind of violation he committed. And I'm no expert on tax law enforcement in America, but. I think you are. Well, yeah, a bit, but uh, you know, the IRS, despite its reputation, uh, they really do have kid gloves. All they want is people to pay their taxes. Um, you would be surprised, you know, what you have to do to actually get a criminal enforcement by the IRS against you. You pretty much have had to flip them off nonstop for years and have the money, just absolutely refusing, hiding it, just. You would not believe what you'd have to do because at the end of the day, the IRS, they're, they're there and they don't want to destroy people either. They're not idiots. It's not if we destroy a guy financially and he can't pay his taxes, that doesn't help anyone. Um, they always want to just make a deal in order just to pay the taxes you owe. They don't want right. to don't want to give you penalties. Don't want to put you in jail. Unless you are Hunter Biden and Republicans want to make you a whipping horse. But did you see they use this apparent Chinese spy, this gal left. I don't know if you can follow it, but maybe you can. You're well-traveled. 
the legislature, in their zeal, in the United States Congress, the House, you serve in the House in Colorado, the Republicans with the majority have taken a whistleblower who it turns out had previously been indicted for spying for China, gun running, working with Iran. I mean, how low can the GOP go now that you're a legislator? I don't know if you've been following this, but I have, and it's tied to this Hunter Biden crap. Yeah, again, you'd actually be surprised. I've become a little a nerd to it because even in my role, I've had the Douglas County GOP um, spew a lot of misinformation, and I have to chase my tail. You know, it's so easy to make stuff up in like 30 seconds, and then it takes hours to track down the truth for constituents who come to you. And again, what they spew, if it's true, well, yeah, it's an issue, and you have to chase it down. So I've actually gotten into the habit of the GOP has no credibility with me anymore. Right. So, you know, they've cried wolf so many times. And again, I see it in Douglas County. All constituents come with to me, hey, uh, so-and-so, of course, a GOP official says this. And I'm like, well, you know, if that is a, a true issue, then it is an issue. And I will look into it and make sure it's not. And have to do all the work, find out, no, it's not true, and come back to the person. So again, it's I kind of tune it out at some point. How low can they go? But let's be uplifting, because you're now a Democrat. You are a Republican for a long time. I think Joe Biden's been doing a great job, and particularly on Ukraine. You went to Ukraine. You're one of these guys who is such a do-gooder. We talked about it more on episode 99, and I'm talking about it again. It's the theme of my show today. Again, you're on a do-gooder show. Are you following what's going on in Ukraine? Because it was a huge week getting Finland, Sweden, into NATO. That, to me, is a blow to Putin, and I'm all for that. How about you? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't really realize how fantastic Biden does because he does it so quietly and isn't running around trying to toot his horn. But if you look at the geopolitical situation around the world right now, the United States is in its strongest position since post 9-11, you know, basically in 20 years. You know, NATO's stronger than it's ever been now with the addition of, you know, getting, you know, everybody lined up and Ukraine screaming to be a part of it, which of course, uh, yeah, that has a lot of other geopolitical ramifications. But um, uh, yeah, he's done a fabulous job, um, you know, around the world, so to speak. Um, you know, I, this is a bit of a tangent, but one huge thing that a lot of, you know, the GOP was jumping on him, but I have some personal knowledge being in the IRS, you know, his effort to hire all those extra agents and attorneys, they were pretty much all going to my section and my area of the IRS, which is the Large Business International Litigation Division. Because I was shocked when I found out, but there's about $200 billion in taxes a year that go uncollected. Uh, these are taxes that are absolutely owed and just not paid. And they just don't have the, and it's usually you know, wealthy people and wealthy corporations. And unfortunately, the facts of the matter is we would get a huge case. The other side, yeah, they knew they owed $80 million. They knew it. We knew it. Everybody knew it. But they knew they could spend, you know, a million dollars on some white shoe lawyers in uh, Washington. And then we'd have to do the math and realize, well, this is going to be five years with three attorneys assigned full-time, 15 man years of our labor and work, which we don't have. Um, we'll settle for $18 million. Yeah. And they'd get away with it. You know, we're the little guy. 
you know, we could roll them all day and they'd pay up and the little guys are always paying. So, you know, one of the best things Biden was doing was trying to get those agents because they're not going after the little guys. It was to go after this $200 billion a year that's owed. You know, it's not to raise taxes. It's to get people to pay taxes that they just aren't paying. Oh, my gosh. That was revealing. Leona Helmsley was right. Only the little people pay taxes. That's Although what, she ended up going to jail, but she was probably a role model for Donald Trump. And the Republican Party does his total bidding. He's a total tax cheat. It's been proven through the years. And and, and they want to support that. They want to tear down the FBI because the FBI is involved in exposing his treachery and his crimes. So I just can't believe the modern geo people. We will keep it close to home. And... Uh, before we review uh, what you did in the legislature, culminating with another lawsuit, I'm a little offended that I'm not the lawyer, but Zandsburg's the best on this kind of issue. If it's a criminal yeah. issue, I'm there with you. All right, yeah, well, but, First but, Amendment, but, no, Zandsburg. But let's not leave Trump <laughs> just yet, because to me, there are two parties, uh, two politics right now. You're either for Trump or you are against him. My old buddy, Geraldo, I can call him a buddy again. He came out today and said, I'm going to work to defeat Trump. And he was his friend. One of the reasons that I thought Trump was okay, because I thought Geraldo was okay, and I feel that way again. But you're the guy. I represented you in a case where you got falsely charged for the crime. You beat that because the DA realized it was bogus. You were attacked. You defended yourself. You managed to pip the guy who attacked you, sucker punched you, Steve Peck who was vice president of the Douglas County Republicans, it's on video. You can go to my column, hit the hyperlink. Bob was just walking, uh, as was his right, when he got sucker punched by Peck. Bob whirled around and bipped him back twice, but the cops saw it, Douglas County sheriffs. They immediately arrested Peck. You can read about the rest of it. But Peck, this MAGA guy who got MAGA people to lie for him, I'm sure he disappeared, right? He doesn't want any more oh, no, public he, service. He he paid you money for what he did to you. I I helped finance my studio, but <laughs> is he still around? What's he doing? Yeah, you would think he would disappear, but no, now he's the elected chair of the Douglas County uh, Republicans. What? So, yeah. Yeah, they, uh, they and only pick the best. Is he still sucker punching? Uh, I, haven't, I haven't been paying that close no, attention. No, but does he... You said the party, the Republican Party, uh, virtually sucker punches you. Oh, yeah. They, not physically, but now they throw cheap shots at you and false assertions, and they get their buddies on uh, broadcasting entities to repeat bullshit. Am I oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I, I actually have a thin, uh, thick skin, which is probably good for politics because, you know, the arrows come in, but they bounce off and you forget about them. But What I love about you is you're not beholden to any political party. You joined the Democrats because they're anti-Trump, am I right? No, I'm you know, a Democrat because I'm a Democrat now. Uh, and I tell people I'm an old-style Truman Democrat. There's very few. Um, I am kind of a throwback, um, but I do believe in a lot of—I'm loyal to the party. It's not—I'm uh, just there because I hate somebody else. I always liked the Democrats. I always loved the Republicans, the old Republicans. Um, if you saw my Truman ad with me in my um, Jeep when I campaigned, I— you know, made the point. I was in my World War II Jeep with the machine gun and just looked into the camera and said straight out, you know, I'm Bob Marshall and 
You know, I don't like communists. I don't like fascists. I love America and I want it to work for everyone. And I mean everyone. Um, so I gave my top three priorities and said, check me out. I didn't change anything. I put that on Fox News and I think that held a big effect and got a few marginal extra votes for it. Give him hell, Harry, and give him hell, Bob. This guy doesn't start fights. He finishes fights. And I wrote about your spunk and your determination. Um, what are you going to do about this Republican Party? I mean, how bad is it in uh, Douglas County right now? And do they have the power they once had? Do they control the commission? And what's going on there? I, I see Laura Thomas is quitting. Tell me what's going on in Douglas County. Oh, it's uh, the usual <laughs> circus. Um, I, I guess I could tell you something that hit me like a pail of cold water that uh, struck me. Because I'd uh, been, you know, my daughter was even telling me, you're completely naive when I told her what happened. But I got invited to this uh, uh, Douglas County local government group. And, you know, they invite all the elected officials from Douglas County. So I got an invite. And in fact, right after the election, they did like their Christmas party. And somehow they forgot to invite me. And someone who was there called me and said, hey, aren't you coming? I said, I don't know what the hell this is. Like, oh, they're just trying to stiff you. Get down here. So I ran down there real nice. quick. Yeah. And they, I was like the skunk at the party. But I couldn't do any more in the session. But they had this uh, big breakfast at Highlands Ranch Mansion. And I go there. And I walk in. And there's like 45 people. And it's every person that runs Douglas County, the mayors of all the cities, you know, Castle Rock, Castle Pines, everything, the head of the Highland Ranch Metro District, the school board president, the sheriff, um, all three county commissioners. And it was the first time it dawned on me, I knew all these people and I had been fighting them individually for two years. And they were all the core of the Douglas County Republican Party, not just Republicans with an R next to their name, but like the organization, you know, the, you know, dyed in the wool party types. And I was like, oh my Lord, there's a supporter I have down there in Douglas County. He's always talking about the cabal and how it was funded by the Coke network and everything. And sometimes you think he's a little bit conspiratorial, but you know, when I walked in there, I was like that, yeah, it, it was like, oh my God, they are just, you know, a little cabal. Well, when you think about Douglas County, I remember the voucher program so controversial, but it got a lot of national attention, a lot of national money. Maybe that was the start of it. You're more an expert than I would be. But growing up, I just, well, Douglas County was smaller, but it's only within the last five years. Maybe it's part of MAGA because they're afflicted out there. To have Steve Peck, who went to January 6th? Is there, are there reports that he did that? Or do you know? I'm absolutely positive, And all of a sudden, everything got wiped <laughs> on his social media. But he was supposedly the organizer for a lot of the state GOP to go out there and, um, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, bring the storm. <laughs> right. Yeah, which. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so it, it, I mean, I, I'm. I'm studying up on QAnon. Ashley Babbitt gave her life for that belief. A lot of it involves Christianity, which I don't understand that well in the first place. But I'm educating myself. I had Mike Rothschild on, who's written a book about Q. And I know that they venerate Donald Trump. He can't do any wrong. And Joe Biden has to be a doddering old fool. And there are a bunch of beliefs that motivated people on January 6th. And they also think everybody's a pedophile. 
I heard Christy Burton Brown filling in for Dan Kaplis, along with Ryan Schuling. They were praising this new movie starring Jim Caviezel, and somebody called in and said, hey, that guy is QAnon, so is the maker of the movie. And I was aware of that, but they got real condescending, and then they started pushing back, saying, you know, Democrats, why are they always pushing pedophilia and sex with kids? And and then Christy Burton Brown, who was just the head of the Republican Party, said they want to put the P in there with LGBTQP. She said that. I mean, I'm thinking, holy cow. The Republican Party of Colorado is now saying LGBT is the same as pedophilia. It's it's just sad to me. I mean, you work down there at the Capitol with these guys. Am I over-exaggerating? Does it surprise you to hear that? No, I mean, the most surprising part is uh, colleagues from the Republican Party that you know know better, you know, don't call it out. That's uh, right. The, the the worst part. The the problem being, of course, though, if they do, <laughs> yes. yeah, they'll be put in the political graveyard. You know, quick as heck. But um, you know that that's the 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 most surprising part is the ones who remain silent, who you know know better. Um, you talk to them, and you know they're reasonable, rational people, and they they know better. Right. That's why I feel about former friends who. Uh, host talk shows. And that brings me to George Brockler. I mean, this guy, he has a big microphone. You'd think he could call out like Tommy Tuberville holding up stuff or KBB advocating adding a P to LGBTQ. I mean, they all protect each other. And Brockler has big ambitions in Douglas County. But I have an affiliation with Bob Marshall. And when I hear him talk shit about you, I don't like it. What were the bills that you proposed that got under his skin? One of them had to do with, hey, maybe if you're enforcing the law, you shouldn't be a partisan politician. That doesn't go together. You explain it for yourself what uh, uh, the establishment Republicans got pissed at you for. And, and I'll put Brockler at the head of the list for the Doug Co. establishment Republicans. Yeah, it was a very simple bill at the end. It started off real complicated, basically three bills in one, uh, really ambitious, and I believed in all of it, but uh, political realities being what they were, it got watered down to basically imposing the Hatch Act, which requires, you know, the Federal Hatch Act, that federal government employees can't be involved in partisan political politics um, in law enforcement in Colorado, and it carved out the sheriffs, the elected sheriffs, who who are partisan positions. So it carved out for them that their only restriction was that they could not engage in partisan political activity while in uniform or while using government property. And that is just such an easy thought to most people, especially the military members in the caucus. They're like, oh, yeah, I mean, who the who the heck would ever think you could do that? That's just insane. Um but you would not believe the pushback I got on it. It was ridiculous. And the funny part is, Nebraska has this law. And they actually enforced it. They had like four of their sheriffs in uh, January of 2023 that I read who got convicted. They pled guilty to engaging in partisan politics while in uniform. They made a commercial um, for a you know partisan individual. And they got, you know, 
charged. And they're like, yeah, you're right. We did it. And it was like a $1,500 or $3,000 fine apiece. You know, they pled guilty and everything. But um, I'm like, if Nebraska, you know, that radical, you know, left-wing communist cauldron can do something like that, I would think we could do it in Colorado, just so you don't have sheriffs that are, you know, using the power of their uh, badge, so to speak, for partisan purposes. It, it, the badge doesn't belong to them. They think it does. It belongs to the people. I'm not going to call them names. In fact, I'll refer to him as Colonel Brockler, because I think he's up to colonel status in the U.S. Army Reserves, and good for him. But I think his silence on a bunch of this stuff is complicity. When Republicans keep opposing uh, Ukraine defending themselves against Putin, I would like him to speak up, and I'd like him to speak up you know, in favor of Biden when he shows the courage of going to Kiev. But you can't do that. He gives in. I'm not going to call him names, but I have heard him call you names, implying there's something wrong with you, <laughs> that your mental health is off. Really? I, I, heard, uh, do I don't you, pay do attention. You wanna, do you want to call him any names? I, I actually don't know enough about him or care enough about him to well, call him a name. He's going to probably run for that new oh, the uh, DA DA office in Douglas County because this talk radio thing ain't working out that great for him. But that's just my opinion. I sometimes listen, and I don't like him when he talks trash about you because I think you've done a great job in the legislature. You're one of those guys who actually reads the legislation. Is that rare, or do most people do that? Uh, I try. I give my call. You know, my closest colleague down there um, is a little more disparaging <laughs> sometimes. Of, but yeah, I think uh, a lot of my colleagues uh, would probably appreciate it if I didn't read. <laughs> bills as closely as I do, because a lot of times there may be a hundred page bill and there's two or three sentences tucked in there that are like, where the heck did this come from? Um, and you bring it up and everyone, you know, gets a little red face, but um, that's what we're there to do. No, and that's your background. Not everybody can do it. You, you're used to reading fine print. You're a tax lawyer, white collared litigation lawyer. Not everybody can do that, even if they want to. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, yeah, I'm. To be fair, though, I'm really not um, as uh, anal about that as some. I got a colleague that she is fantastic at that. She, you know, I'm. I'm kind of. I can skim through it and find some. You know, the the bomb real quick. You know, so and then some people go through and you know highlight every little paragraph. Well, that's your marine training. Are you impressed or unimpressed by your colleagues? It's a mix because uh, I like all my colleagues, and you think about that. And it should make sense because no one gets elected to one of those positions unless they're kind of a likable person to begin with. So, yeah, I, I can say something positive about every single colleague down there. Um, How do you explain Ron DeSantis? Oh, DeSantis? Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Have you ever I, seen that guy really smile? Like right there, it's no. a genuine smile from you, but I can't envision that well, yeah, this is from DeSantis. Yeah, this is Colorado, not, right. not Florida. Right, I just... <laughs> I, uh, my other guest makes a DeSantis reference like that. But is it an asset being a lawyer to be a legislator? Yeah, but you need all sorts of perspectives. But uh, yeah, mine, you know, again, if we had like uh, an energy bill, it might be great if you had an energy background more than a lawyer. Right. So yeah, it's good to have a broad range of experience. But, you know, for a broad, you know, obviously lawmakers are making laws. So if you're a lawyer, that's probably the best general background that's best but you got to have the expertise everyone down there is a expert in something you know that's how they wind up on different committees and your wheelhouse 
uh, I'm a jack of all trades, but they put me on the judiciary and finance. I really had almost no choice in that when I showed up. You know, my uh, interests when I was running campaign issues were uh, really mental health and um, education, but those are both well represented down there. And the first day I showed up for speaker elections, the chair of the Judiciary Committee ran up to me and said, I read your bio. Do you ever think about being on the Judiciary Committee? And I was like, no, but I don't think I can avoid it, can I? So yeah, Judiciary and Finance were the two committees I got placed on. Yeah, but you wear your affection on your shirt, Semper Fi. You care about the military and you managed to do some good work for them in the last legislative session. Tell everybody about that. Yeah, we had a couple really nice wins. And again, you ask yourself, is it worthwhile for me to be down there? Could anyone be doing stuff? And when you get stuff done that would probably would not have happened if it wasn't you down there, you realize, well, I probably should be there. So we had one issue um, where there's a program where Colorado pays the veteran service organizations, the VSOs, like the VFW, Veterans Foreign Wars, American Legion, it's a $75 stipend for four of them just to go out to the funeral of a veteran and present the flag to the family and render final honors. And it's a real big deal in the rural areas because the DOD just does not have the capacity to do that for everyone. Um, they can request it, but they can't get it done. I go to funerals all the time at Fort Logan with my VFW group. And the DOD, the National Guard always has a couple guys that come out there, do a formal flag thing for the family. A lot of areas, they just don't have the capacity to do that. So it means a lot. It's 75 bucks. It's like, you know, gas money and lunch for four guys to go out there and do it. Um, they ran out of money halfway through the year. And I found that out. And I found out the governor wasn't even putting money in the next out years for it. So I was able to raise enough hell that they agreed to put money in for the following years. But then the question was like, what are you going to do about this year? You know, our fiscal year ends July 1. So it's like, well, we got five months where nobody gets the flag and you know, the money's not getting paid to these groups and they probably still do it anyway. But, you know, again, it's the right. point. So uh, I found this out on a Tuesday at like three o'clock that if I got an amendment in by four o'clock, we were doing supplemental appropriations the next morning on the floor for the whole year. And it was the only time to do it. So I spazzed out, got an amendment drafted up real quick. And then the next morning went to all the veterans in the state house, Republican and uh, Democrat, and told them what I was doing. And uh, time for the supplemental appropriation to come up, they all stood behind me and I explained what it was about. And the minority leader, to his credit, even you know, got up and he, you know, he's like, okay, yeah, we did all these other supplemental appropriations. This one's this one means something. And uh, the chair asked, you know, how many eyes after explaining what was going on? And there was just a thunderous eye in the entire house. And then asked for the nose and you couldn't hear a word until the head of the joint budget committee just had a little mousy no. Uh, you know, just no, because, you know, they have to protect the budget. And I was told before I did, oh, this is going to look great for you. You're fighting for veterans, but you ain't going to get the appropriation through. Um, so the chair, you know, thought about it. You could see her thinking about it. And then she said, well, the eyes have it and gave us the appropriation. And as I was walking back, the whip was uh, smiling and said, boy, you're going to get a big gold star for that. And I had no idea what a big deal it was. But I found out later, even from lobbyists, they're like, no one rolls the JBC. You know, they don't touch the budget. It's already been negotiated. You can't upset it. So they ran like 16 amendments for appropriation supplementals. And none of them got through but mine. And I found out not only is it unheard of to roll the JBC, but for a first year legislator to do it, that's 
really, you know, really up. And, and the truth be known, if I knew how big it was, I probably wouldn't have tried it. It's just, I was totally naive. I'm like, well, this is the way you do it. You know, uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Um, yeah. And it's the right thing to do. And again, it's not, at the end of the day, it wasn't because I was so wonderful getting done. It was, the issue was so obvious, but at least I, you know, was the one who brought the issue to everyone's attention that they were all willing to sign off on it and override, you know, the joint budget committee and, you know, just, you know, push it through regardless of what. That's fantastic. Are yeah. you kidding me? My father-in-law, a Korean War veteran, he got buried at Fort Logan with that kind of honors. It means a great deal. And my gosh, you never know until you try, right? That, well, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I had another bill too that was kind of a, I don't want to say a throwaway because it was important, but uh, during when I was campaigning, I had a constituent veteran come up and just asked me, said, uh, you know, I'm, I came from New York and I applied for the veterans homestead exemption because I have an individual unemployability designation from the VA um, and they denied it and I don't get it. And I have a background in disability law. I did it quite a long time with Wounded Warrior Battalion when I was there in San Diego. And so the VA has this designation called individual unemployability, IU. And what it means is the veteran has a medical condition that is so bad that service-connected, they cannot work. It's total occupational impairment. It's like SSDI level. And they usually have gone through like three or four years of trying to hold a job and can't hold a you know substantive employment before they ever get this designation. And because of that, the VA pays the veteran at the 100% VA rate, even though they're not rated at 100%. Well, it turned out when Colorado put the veterans homestead exemption in, they wrote into the constitution that you had to be rated at 100% by the veterans administration. So it left out all these guys that a lot of them, you know, if you have 100% rating from the VA, you can still work. And the VA wants you to work. One third, you know, there's three sections to the VA and one of them is, uh, you know, vocational rehab. They have a whole section with billions of dollars dedicated to try and get veterans back to employment because that's just healthy overall. Um, so 100% vets, a lot of them could still work. So they're still making money. These guys absolutely can't even work and they're being denied this vet benefit. So it was more, you know, it wasn't a lot of money. You know, it's like $700 a year or something for the exemption, but it was uh, a huge matter of respect. And I thought it would be a real easy issue. I was like, shoot, I'll take care of this. You know, one sentence and a bill for Christ's sakes. Well, it turned out we had to run a referendum because it's a, a tax issue that's already buried in the Constitution. So we have to run the referendum. Um, but we got it through and I was glad I got it through. And um, it was an eye opener trying to do it. I don't want to be too partisan, but I went to five uh, GOP state senators before I got sworn in asking for help to be my sponsor in the Senate. Um Three ghosted me completely. One got back, said they didn't have time. And one said, uh, if the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs didn't support it, they didn't. And DMV wasn't going to support it because it was a money thing and it doesn't fit our budget. And I was like, I don't care. This is ridiculous. Um, but my VFW commander had told me, if you ever have a veterans issue, you need to contact Rhonda Fields. And I was, he didn't tell me why. Just contact Rhonda Fields. A woman in the Senate. So I called her out of the blue. It was like rain, you know, a huge snowstorm, like late December, again, before I got sworn in. And uh, she didn't know who the heck I was. And she started 
scalding me like a schoolmarm saying, you know, this is just not the way I do things. This isn't protocol on how you ask me to do, you know, support a bill. Uh, I don't know what you're doing, young man, you know, that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh man, this, well, this is what it is about. And uh, she listened for a second and then turned out, of course, her father was a three-tour Vietnam veteran. And uh, she represents, of course, um, old Lowry and old Fitzsimmons. So she has all those old vets out there. And then she couldn't do enough for me. It was fantastic. She gave me all sorts of good advice on how to get things done and everything. So uh, I always have to put that plug in for Senator Fields. That's our Rhonda. She's, she's the best. Look at the difference you made in the life of veterans. Well, we still have to get that. It still have to pass by the, the voters. <laughs> so I like you got to vote for it. Yeah. Now you did something that could affect my life. My dad was a pretty big gambler. I am not. I've never, well, maybe I've taken out credit at a Vegas casino. I don't know, maybe once. But my dad used to go to the tables and say, a marker mistress, and he'd sign up. And so I'm used to going to Vegas where credit was issued. Now, it wasn't always good because unlike my dad, who would pay his debts, if they didn't, you know, it's 777 miles, and they could come rough you up. This is back in the day. Anyway, there was a proposal that the casinos up in Blackhawk, probably to be more competitive, bring in bigger tourists, spending more money. They don't want to carry cash. Can they get a casino marker? And the governor vetoed it after it apparently passed. I know you got heavily involved. Tell us the journey of that bill from your perspective. Well, I don't know. I want to say heavily involved. I was just, you know, on the back end. So it was a bill that uh, was being heavily lobbied by the casinos, who, of course, have money, where they wanted to be able to lend gamblers money in the casinos. I just didn't think it was a great idea. So I was going to, I, I wasn't going to vote for it. I wasn't fighting against it. It was just like, no, nah, I just, I don't think that's a good idea. And one of the arguments they'd give back to me too, though, is, oh, well, we're not even charging interest for the first nine months. I'm like, well, yeah, you already had all the money lost in the casino. So <laughs> why, you know, of course it's all just gravy, no matter what you get out of them. So um, I was going to, it passed out of the Senate, I think unanimously and came over to the house and it was... I think the third or fourth to the last day of the session, they brought it up and uh, it went through our finance committee and I was one of two votes against it in the finance committee. Again, I just didn't think it was a good idea, but I think it passed out of the finance like nine, two. So I was going to, you know, everyone just assumed it was going to pass the floor and it came up for a vote and it got voted down, um, 34, 31. And <laughs> it was a huge shock. Um, and so one of our colleagues who was the prime sponsor of it, yeah, everyone was shocked because, you know, again, it's like, you know, uh, they're like, they don't bring anything up for a vote unless they're sure it's going to pass. Unless uh, it's your JBC runaround. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, the prime sponsor started running back and forth to the lobby, you know, like he was uh, high on drugs. He just, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And then talking to the GOP whip, it was a GOP rep. And uh, all of a sudden the GOP whip gets up and goes down to the well and, asked for a reconsideration of the vote on the casino bill because he said he may have misvoted. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You were just down there arguing against the bill. How could you have been, you know, you just changed right. your mind. Who changed your mind? It's like, you know. So, yeah, that. Uh, so immediately, uh, Rep Epps and I jumped up and uh, I ran down to the well and just, you know, was like, this is just ridiculous. And it passed 33 uh, 
is it by one vote? Well, would that be 33, 32? So three GOP reps flipped their vote on the reconsideration. And one of our Democratic colleagues flipped their vote, but they flipped it because they thought it was ridiculous. Unfortunately, I found out later, a lot of our colleagues didn't know what was going on. Um, you know, a lot of them thought when he asked for a reconsideration, it was just to flip his own vote. You know, they didn't realize it was going to be a revote for the whole bill. And then they flipped three, you know, they thought, well, who cares? Because, you know, he flips his one vote, it still doesn't pass. But they flipped three GOP votes over. And um, then shockingly, uh, Polis vetoed it. So it was like the first loss, I guess, uh, some of the people are telling us, for the casinos in any state you know, over this issue for uh, forever and a day. But it was it was really disappointing, just uh, optics-wise. Because, uh, you know, the lobbyists all broke into an applause and you could hear them, you know, and obviously on third readings, you know, the final time we're voting on stuff, we're not even supposed to be talking to lobbyists or outside people. So the whole process, it just looked bad. Well, you are a stickler for the rules, Bob Marshall, and it's evident because you will call out um, misconduct, whether it's on your side or the other side, and... You already brought up Elizabeth Epps. You made the news this week big time because unlike the way you went about your legislation, um, it has to be done in a certain way and it has to be in a public sort of uh, format. Why don't you explain the issue that brought you so much attention this week and why you've brought a lawsuit against, uh, what, your own colleagues? Yeah, I probably first want to preface it by I really don't consider myself a Dudley Do-Right persnickety rule follower. You know, I've served in combat zones and outside the wire where you've had to make gray moral decisions. You know, things aren't always black and white. You know, so I'm willing to, you know, I've been more than willing, you know, sometimes you have to make a higher choice on what to do on things. You know, is you follow the formal rule or you follow, you know, the thought behind the rule and right. what's more important. But we have this collection of laws called the Sunshine Laws in Colorado that the voters imposed in 1972. It was a citizen initiative. People in power didn't want this. They didn't like it. In fact, there was a GOP state senator that sued over it. And in 1982, saying you can't impose this law on the caucuses in the legislature, uh, Colorado Supreme Court ruled said, no, people spoke. This law applies to the caucuses too. You have to follow the rules. And I had some knowledge of it because of the work I'd been doing in Douglas County over sunshine laws with the Douglas County School Board, because they had gotten together behind closed doors one-on-one -on -one, trying to get around our sunshine laws to fire the superintendent um, quietly and trying to get him to quietly go away without doing it in public. Um, and I think the opening phrase for the entire sunshine law is uh, public business must be conducted publicly, <laughs> something along those lines um, for transparency purposes. So I entered the legislature with a reputation of these sunshine laws and doing them. And I even had a lot of GOP people and right-wingers in Douglas County angry at me when I was doing it saying, you're only doing these because you hate the GOP and you hate this school board. And I tell them, I said, well, you know, if it was my own side doing it, I would call them out too. Well, I showed up and I had heard rumors from many people that the legislature was pretty sloppy about following the sunshine laws. And when I got there and started going, I realized it was far, <laughs> it was far, far worse than I could have imagined. It wasn't just sloppy. Um, and it turned out that uh, 
Elizabeth Epps independently was seeing the same issues. Um, close colleague of mine, um, we're kind of an odd couple, everyone always says, because uh, we're always used as examples of the polar opposites politically of the caucus, but we are very close personally. Um, so Elizabeth Epps, uh, it, it said that you are on the right part of the Democratic Party. You've identified yourself as a Harry Truman Republican. She'd be more, uh, Harry Truman Democrat, she'd be more of a uh, Bernie Sanders Democrat? No, more AOC. I don't more think AOC. Yeah, okay. she wouldn't be a Bernie bro. Or I don't even know if I, I could. I she's could very see, progressive. I could see AOC and Harry Truman getting along, maybe. Yeah, at times, yeah. I think. Okay, so you're Harry. She's uh, AOC. She's uh, a very commanding presence. And the two of you uh, both objected to that late lobbyist reform. That's cool. Is that when you knew you liked each other or before that? No, it was just kind of growing on each other, and it was just, uh, you know, she sits next to me in the Judiciary Committee a lot, and again, we're both, you know, Elizabeth is a very progressive left-wing individual, but she's very focused on due process and fairness, and I am too, and it took, I actually, people are surprised coming from Douglas County and being the most conservative Democrat in the caucus and in the State House. I have a very close relationship with the Denver progressives and it's taken me a while to figure it out, but it is overall this transparency and open government stuff because I'm really big on that. And a lot of their stuff dies behind closed doors. And even when I've brought this suit, I have found um, it has mainly been uh, male supporters that have been very angry with me for why I'm not just going along to get along. And it's stark. I could see it. Gender, you know, a lot of my women supporters understand it completely. And the South Asian Democrats are big supporters of mine. And that's a long story of how that came about. It was kind of funny. But they support and understand. And when I think about it, it's uh, when they do everything behind closed doors and you're not included, it's always the marginal communities that get left out. So the idea is how are proposals put together? How is policy formulated? If you write it down, you have to preserve those writings, turn them over. And there are certain electronic communications that, of course, are writings. That needs to be turned over. But if you use invisible ink or disappearing forms of texting, that becomes the problem. Is that it in a nutshell? Yeah, I don't want to go into too many details because we got a lot more and we're hoping to negotiate an end to this. They appointed counsel for um, people today. And we haven't filed the preliminary injunction motion because we're hoping they will just confess the complaint and accept the injunction and we won't have to air dirty laundry. But in the complaint, two of the big ones are uh, we were constantly using this application called Signal, which is encrypted and self-deleting and having conversations with a quorum of committees in the middle of committee meetings, <laughs> which, you know, basically having a, a shadow meeting under the meeting. Um, that was totally cloaked from any public scrutiny whatsoever, and there's no record of it because it all immediately disappeared. Um, so, you know, that was kind of an issue for me. And then uh, the other one that was kind of big is we'd have these pre-committee committee meetings. Um, and then the CPR probably did the best report on it, and their audio was really good. And they caught me. I, I I either forgot or I didn't that they had asked to record me, or I forgot it was. See, you know, reporters, hey, can I record you? I'm fine with it because they usually use it just for fact checking to go back. 
I forgot CPR does stuff on the radio, you know, public, public, great Colorado. Yes. You would think I'd remember that. So they were playing snippets of things I said. But one of the things that also was a little just bothersome was uh, all our new uh, legislative aides and interns. And they're all these, you know, 22 year old, you know, 18 to 24 year old idealistic young people out here to change the world. They get their orientation on the sunshine laws and, you know, the rules and they have to do. And then next day they're being told, hey, these meetings, you got to hide them. Don't disguise them. Don't put them on the legislator's calendar and all that. You know, and, and I was joking, you know, I was just saying, you know, I have no problem crushing the spirit of young people. I think that's part of my job, but we should do it over time, you know, not the first week <laughs> they show up, you know. There you go, a little sarcasm. No, have you gotten uh, up the ire of leadership? Are they pissed at you for bringing those thoughts in? Uh, no, I'm, uh, with our current leadership, um, it's, I feel really bad about it because we did spend six months trying to resolve it. And I don't, the speaker is not a dictator. So I had to come to the conclusion that even if she wanted to solve it, I don't know if she had the capability because our colleagues have to agree. And uh, Epps made the very astute observation to me a couple weeks ago that there's a lot of people who probably don't want us to make the, because right now the, the law is almost really unworkable. And so the, you know, all they do is they just ignore the whole thing. And that's not the answer. And she was like, you know, if we actually have rules that are workable, people are going to be expected to follow them. Right now, it's very easy to say, oh, we can't do this and just not even follow the law and right. gaff it off. Um, you know, so again, just because, uh, yeah. So I, I had, I don't know now that the complaint's out there, but yeah, I, I can't fault the, our speaker. She inherited this horrible swamp. It's been decades in the making. The people that have disappointed me most, actually, are the I've seen some quotes and um, stuff from former members of the body that are like very upset. Well, you know, I think Senator Corum was being quoted um, as basically calling Epps and I, uh, you know, malcontents with sour grapes and we should grow up. You know, people should be able to have these conversations and, um, Terrence Carroll, unfortunately, wrote a very milquetoast art article that you know, was basically saying, yeah, transparency is nice, but you, know, you peasants didn't understand what's going to happen if you impose these rules on us and we just can't follow up, so we don't. Um, yeah, so that, that's been, because they know this stuff's been going on for years and they just have ignored it and it gets worse. So why don't you just go along to get along, Bob? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I've had... Some supporters who were quite upset at, you know, because I was the first Democrat elected from Douglas County since 1966. So they were all excited that we have a voice in the government and a voice in the majority. And this is awesome. And now you just shot yourself in the head <laughs> politically. Um, you just committed political suicide by taking on your leadership. And again, I didn't want to take them on. Um, but yeah, the hypocrisy would have been just too much. And again, I'm willing to, you know, do things for the greater good here or there and bend a rule. Uh, but uh, And work it out and go on to better things. What about next year? It's an election year. Are yeah. you going to run again? Yeah, we have to see how that works out. I guess I really do need to announce if I'm going to do it because you got to raise Right here, right now. Yeah, do a boatload of money. My race was the second most expensive in Colorado last time. And it was only $3,000 below the most expensive and and just as a as a side to pat myself on the back, I was also the only member down there who was outspent by their opponent who won. But um, yeah, it's going to. There is no question. It will be the most expensive race in Colorado this next go around because uh, the GOP is going to want to retake. You know, their citadel of Douglas County. Seeing that toehold is 
no one expected it. Um, it's not unexpected now, so they're going to be coming with you know everything they got to get rid of me. So um, I'm you may be- have something great going for you. You know what that is? Donald Trump on the ballot. Yeah, I mean, could- it's bad for America, but he's toxic in Colorado, and Douglas County can't be that far gone. He's going to have about four indictments against him. The evidence will be piled up, and the guy running against you is going to be a MAGA guy. And you are going to win again. Yeah, we we could hope. Um, the one thing that is, I'm blessed with a district that's just very, very good. I couldn't be the person I am without uh, the voters I have. Um, they're very reasonable people. When I was campaigning, even if they disagree with my votes or anything, when I explain what I'm doing, they'll listen and they're like, "Okay, well, I, you know, they won't hold it against me, and they appreciate I think through what I'm doing." Um, but the flip side too is, Douglas County had the highest turnout. For Democrats in the entire nation in 2022. Um, so, and we had an extremely high turnout in my district. So there's actually not a lot of upside that normally you would have on a presidential election year compared to most districts. We, we pretty much, uh, our people are doing their civic duty every election. So well, you've got the support of my mother-in-law. You need to win because you are our man in the house, Rhonda Fields, our woman in the Senate, John Jackson, our man in Ukraine, what a great show you've given me again, Bob Marshall. Can't thank you enough. No, thank you for having me there. And uh, anything else? Give a shout out to your uh, website so people can get involved. Oh, well, I guess it's bobforcolorado.com with the number four, though. B-O-B, number four, colorado.com. And what about Twitter? Are you still on there? You're not as active. I've all of a sudden had to get active this week to respond to stuff. But uh, yeah, that's just Bob for Colorado, too. Oh, I guess uh, another little tidbit that was kind of nice was uh, I was uh, voted... the best government official in Highlands Ranch by Colorado Community Media uh, readers. I That's mean, a good paper. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that Colorado Community paper out there. Yeah, yeah, the Highlands Ranch Herald. So that that was kind of fun. Well, way to go! But we all know there's a liberal media bias. Well, these are the readers, not the oh, <laughs> the readers, yeah. the people's I, favorite. Uh, yeah, I would hope so. Yeah, Bob, thanks again, and. Uh, you know, that commandant of the Marine position, if if they offered it to you? <laughs> That's not how it works. But <laughs> All right. Take care. Thanks again. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go. You know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined. It's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey because who should have this? It's probably somebody close 
Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right, and if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to LLC.com And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Hey, everybody, for all of your legal needs, why not start with me? 734-7156, 303-734-7156. I've been practicing law in Colorado for over 42 years, and I know a lot of people. And if I can't do right by you, I can steer you in the right direction. My number, 303-734-7156. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims, a voice for people with legal difficulties. Gosh, the people you meet in this world. John Jackson and I have become acquainted through social media, my podcast. I've grown to respect and become very curious about this man with Colorado Connections. John Jackson, thanks a lot for being on my podcast. I'm happy to be here and uh, welcome from uh, Kiev, Ukraine. Right. Tell everybody about your Colorado connections. So uh, I grew up in Atlanta, uh, in uh, Georgia. Uh, my family's from Alabama and Atlanta. And I came to Colorado in about 1995, just before the Broncos' first uh, victory over the Green Bay Packers. Um I uh, went to college at Metro State University with a degree in criminology um, and then uh, went to graduate school out of state, came back, um, lived in Colorado basically ever since until I came out here. Um, I work in the professional services industry. Uh, I have to be a little vague about what I specifically do, but uh, for security reasons, obviously. And uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, basically have been in Colorado for the majority of, of my life. Well, that's cool. I'm a little hurt because you got here in 95. You went to Metro. So I assume you might have lived in Denver and there was a big political race by which you could timeline your life. Craig Silverman versus Bill Ritter, an independent candidate for DA against the Democratic incumbent. Anyway, the Broncos were more interesting then. But I do remember those times and I was here since long before you, fourth generation Coloradan. But uh, if you love the Broncos, that's what really matters. What about the Nuggets, too? The, the Nuggets are, uh, wow. I mean, uh, to see what they've become. I mean, 
You know, the Nuggets, I had an issue with the NBA in, in the sense of the officiating is very fluid, as they will say. So um, I always love the Nuggets. I'm very uh, happy for their championship, obviously. Um, you know, it was a little hard to watch out here in Ukraine, but I, I had it recorded and uh, was able to look at it that way. But, man, what, what an amazing uh, ride they've, they've had. And I remember the George Carl years and the Carmelo Anthony um, and then way, way back when they were still at McNichols Arena, um, I believe I went with the Dikembe Mutombo year. So uh, to see what they've become and and now with, I think arguably uh, with Joker, the probably the best all-around player, I, I think in NBA history, of course. I mean, you know, I'm sure people will dispute that with me, but if, if people can find me a, a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar who can play defense and shoot threes, then I'm all, I'm all ears and I'd like to hear it. So uh, yeah, no, strong supporter of the Nuggets. He's an interesting dude from an interesting part of the world, not super far away from Ukraine, from Serbia, which had a different experience with NATO, and they have their attitudes, and thankfully the Joker really doesn't get involved. We don't want him to get involved, but I admire you getting involved, and you brought up uh, that you're in Kiev, uh, Ukraine. I should probably say Kiev the way you say it, because you're a lot smarter than me about these things. First of all, the criminology degree, did you use it uh, for any law enforcement work or did it come in handy for your private sector jobs as well? It was more I was going to be in aviation and uh, I ended up being uh, having a partial colorblindness issue that I don't notice on in daily life. But um, I ended up not being able to pass the medical exam. So I switched to the most interesting thing I could find. And um, it's not it doesn't have much relation to what I uh, did for a career. but. Uh, you know, it's it was a good thing to switch to, and I learned a lot. Well, I wanted to know, who are you? I mean, you came from Atlanta. You got to Colorado in 95. But what makes a guy like you, if I can ask maybe approximately your age? And I, I don't even know if John Jackson's your real name, is it? Uh, yes. It's it well. Yeah, it's my real name. It's my real name on, out in the Twitter world. Um and here's what I'll say is there's a website, it's called Track a Nazi Merc, um, that the Russians put on. And so anybody who has a social media presence, and this is an information war, is uh ends up being on uh those kinds of websites and we get security briefings. Um, you know, part of my uh work in Ukraine is to uh is to be a, a visible person. Um, I was interviewed yesterday for the Armed Forces of Ukraine. Um uh, they have a, a TV show that Sarah Ashton Cirillo, one of my very best friends who I really respect, who runs that and a few other shows on there. Um, and so I, I'm a visible face and I will say that it's, uh, with a wink that it is my real name, um, and for security reasons, but there is uh, what makes me, I, I think, you know, and as it relates to Ukraine, a couple things, uh, you know, I've had a lot of experience in, in life just through chance to come across people who have been subject to government repression uh, and unfairness. Uh, I think the first was my grandparents who were in the Hungarian uprising and um, had to flee in the trunk of a car. Um, they were physicians and they were, um, uh, my grandfather was an ordained Baptist minister who had to, um, you know, couldn't have religion back then. And the Soviets crushed that rebellion. Um, when I was growing up, my babysitter was, um, uh, her family were refugees from the Khmer Rouge, uh, Cambodian genocide. And in fact, the father of that family, uh, the head of that family had a, 
severe limp. He was barely able to walk because he had been tortured so much um, by the Khmer Rouge. Um, then when I was uh, about four about four years old, I was uh, kidnapped by my father, parental kidnapping. Unfortunately, it's more common than people think. And um, and I was taken to apartheid South Africa for three years. Um, as you know, obviously, that's a very impressionable time in your life. And to live under apartheid and kind of see that. What years, um, what what big, years uh, for those? Uh, you know, I'd have to go back and look. I was born in the late 70s, uh, so early 80s, um, you know, or early to mid 80s. Um, okay. You know, it basically started falling apart in the 90s. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I saw that my mother eventually got me back. Um, and then, you know, having grown up in Atlanta, you know, who's from Atlanta, Martin Luther King and the civil war is also kind of a big presence there. There's battlefields there's cemeteries. It's something that's, you know, out in Colorado, we don't think much about the civil war, but they, they do in the South, um, for, <laughs> for good and bad. Um, uh, obviously I think about it as a, um, God, thank God the North won, And that was an important time in our American history and for world history. Um, some others may not think that way, but that's just because they've, um, you know, they're making the wrong decision as is their right under the first amendment, I guess. Um, but Martin Luther King is, is huge. He's one of my heroes. And, um, you know, and I think as relevant to this war, um, when it started, um, you know, what I can think about the most, and I think the biggest concept from Martin Luther King is, um, you know, the obligation that if injustice happens anywhere, you know, it's a threat to justice everywhere. Um, he also says things like, um, in times of trial, you will remember the silence of your friends more than the voice of your enemies. And really what that resonated to me is, and, you know, really became a strong part of my belief system is that there's an, you know, you have to be involved in this world in geopolitics and uh, you can't ignore things. And, and there's an obligation to, to be a part and, and to help where bad things are happening. So um, I think sort of, all of those things and, and you know, um, growing up in Atlanta also, I, I think I may may have had one or two white friends, mainly primarily in the Atlanta area, in, in, the, in the metro area, not in the metro area, but in the um, sort of the downtown type area. You're looking at, you know, all my friends were African-American and um, went to went to African-American churches and, um, you know, and experienced with them, I think, um, both an appreciation for diversity and also um, what racism can feel like when you walk through a store and you get looked at or followed and just things of that nature. Uh, they were still doing busing then to, as part of the Brown versus Board of Education de uh, desegregation uh, court order. So, uh, you know, I just was fortunate to have a an experience in life that sort of brought me to a place where um, when I saw that this, uh, what Russia was doing and how it, how long it's been doing these things, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about more, um, you know, I had to get involved in some way. It was, you know, people say to me, uh, you know, uh, well, uh, thank you for coming. And, 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 and my response to that is to me, at least, you know, I've, I, am not saying I, I'm certainly not a saying I'm a, a perfect person or a great person. Uh, I'm just a person and I don't feel brave or anything like that. Um, I still have all my limbs. I'm not blind. I haven't, you know, suffered, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm alive still, thankfully. Um, and um, I felt a gravitational pull like I've never felt in my life to be here. Um, and, and so to me, my response when people say thanks for coming is what other choice did I have? You know, I, I didn't feel like I had a choice. I just felt so compelled to be here. And you see that with a lot of volunteers and from, other countries and uh, volunteers, both military and non-military. So 
That's fascinating. Tell me what what is your ethnic background? We've heard about this South African part, but how would you describe yourself, your ethnicity, your race, that sort of thing? So, yeah, thanks for asking. I am, uh, so I am Caucasian. Um, my, um, you know, in, in both from a race and background and, and socioeconomic, my, uh, um, uh, so there's, you know, Western European. I did a DNA test and uh, it came out as uh, primarily, uh, well, it came out basically Western European. Uh, my father's from, he was, uh, uh, they left, uh, uh, his parents left to South Africa during the Battle of Britain, uh, the Blitz, when when Germany was doing to to uh, London and so forth, what um, uh, Vladimir Putin has, has been doing to Kiev and other cities in Ukraine now. Um, so uh, it's a mix of Western European and, and British. That's interesting. And my uh, my mom is I, she actually grew up as a uh, as a farm girl uh, picking cotton in uh, um, more or less in uh, in the South and uh, on cotton farms, and became a, a psychologist. And is that the one with uh, the Hungarian relatives? Is that your mom? Yes. Yes. Fascinating. Yeah, we could talk about what happened in Hungary during World War II and when the Russians came in. And, and when they liberated Budapest, they raped everybody, right? They thought it was their right. I've read books yeah. about that. But you are so much more knowledgeable. There, there, Go ahead. Oh, there's a great book if people want to, you know, I think uh, if you look at there's a book called Bloodlands, um, and I forget yeah. the name of the author, Timothy but it's a book, Snyder. Bloodlands, New York City. Bloodlands, is not yeah. Timothy Snyder? Yeah, you were going to say another book. Yeah, that sounds right. And uh, you, you learn about, and I, I think, I had never been to this part of the world, uh, Poland. I mean, I knew what Ukraine was, um, Poland, Ukraine. I, you know, I had World War II sort of war history knowledge, uh, which I read about a lot. But to actually be here and to, you know, drive through uh, from the, because the first time I came out here, I was working as a volunteer to deliver cars to the front um, out east in, uh, of Ukraine. And um, I think, you know, you drive through Poland and, and you drive through the woods and you drive and you see the signs for the old, you know, concentration and extermination camps. And um, there's a certain eeriness, at least that I felt, uh, you know, doing that. And then you drive across Ukraine and you, um, you realize and and you read about it and how much um, suffering and it's sort of unspeakable and the amount of blood that's been spilled here for on by innocent people on first the Nazis and then the Russians. Um, you know, it's it's been a really difficult part of the world, a very beautiful part of the world. And, um, you know, it's the breadbasket of the world. You, you know, if you drive by out here out east. It sort of reminds you of maybe Kansas or eastern Colorado. A little bit more green, but the thing that always that stood out to me is I'd see these fields and I'd say, "Was there a fire here?" You know, I'm used to fires in Colorado. You know, uh, the Heyman fire and so forth. Because you look out at the, the the soil and it's black. I mean, it is like potting soil. Uh, I'm, I'm used to Georgia red clay or you know Colorado brown dirt, and it looks like it's been burned. But that's just how it is. And so, uh, and then you have like it's vegetables out here a salad in ukraine would blow your mind it's like uh you know their tomatoes taste like fruit it's it's amazing um, so that, are you so, saying the black yeah. soil is really rich it's a fertile uh area that's why it's the breadbasket of the world it's got that natural soil it yes. has nothing to do with the war burning it up or anything i mean and i'm wondering no, about it's not it's yeah just, so you see these yeah. big wheat fields like you might see in colorado are there people working the fields harvesting is, does life go on during this war 
You know, life life does go on during this war. Um, out there, there's there's a an, an incredible amount of mines. There's millions and millions of mines uh, along the front line. If you're farther, that's farther out east. If if you come back closer to between sort of Kiev and and where you start seeing the, the mines and so forth, uh, you have you see people working the fields. You see you know elderly women out there with their um, uh, you know with their headscarves on um out there working the fields and you know there's it's the second largest country in europe it's bigger than france you know right. bigger than anything um you know so um yeah you see people out there and, and life does go on and that's uh you know uh one of the things you know if you were to step outside and if you came here blindfolded and stepped outside of of you know uh, into say central downtown kiev you would think you're in some great european city and you'd have no idea there's coffee shops open the only way you know is basically uh, there's a curfew at midnight um, and there are frequent uh, air raid sirens. Um, and those typically happen because the Russians are doing it just to annoy people um, and try to kill some people. But the air defense is so good. So now it's just a, an annoyance sort of terrorism thing. Um, you know, air raid sirens are between 3 and 5 a.m. Um, so that's the only way you really know. All right. Here's what I'm thinking about you. This is our first time looking at each other and talking to each other. And man, am I impressed. I'm making you to be a freedom fighter. You come from Atlanta. That's what Martin Luther King was about. Freedom for all people, regardless. And what's happening to the Ukrainians, I feel the same way. Putin's trying to kill them just for being Ukrainian. He can't do that. That's like uh, yeah. all the great uh, villains of the world, but most people don't do anything about it. I feel a little hamstrung. I like to talk about it on a podcast, maybe write about it, talk about Putin's ally, Donald J. Trump. We will get to him. But I figure, what can I do? You got your ass up. You went to Kiev. And I think if I went to Kiev as a senior now, what could I do? i just get in the way. Would I? Or is there a role for everybody to go over there? No, I, I, the, there is, um, I'm in my forties and, uh, I, and I, but I stay in very good shape. And, uh, you know, it was something that I knew some people in the military over there, over here and, um, and, and able to, because of some experience I have with firearms and military sort of things that, um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for people over here, um, in that regard. Um, however, there are, when you say, what can you do? I, it is everything from, if you can, you know, contribute a dollar a month to, um, you know, telling your crazy uncle who at the, uh, at your Thanksgiving that no, it's not, it's not Ukraine's fault or NATO's fault. This really is a, an absolute genocide. Um, it, anything like that. Um, you know, coming over here, it is a little strenuous because you, I mean, you can fly into, I typically fly into Poland, but you have to take a train here and it's about 12 to 15 hours train. Now it's a great train. It's very clean and all that. And there's a food car, but, um, you know, you can plan on a two to three day thing to get here. Um, you know, there's lots of aid organizations out here. Uh, but you know, I always tell people their strength in numbers. And, uh, I think economically, is really where the probably the strength lies or the advantage for the West lies, um, but it's it's also an information war too. Uh, you know, as you and you're so a big part of that. That's how I became aware yeah, of you. Yeah. You are prolific on Twitter, and your firearms expertise shines through. Also, you know about. 
the weapons of war. You've had that kind of training. You can say how you got it or not. But the other thing you have is you appear to be fearless. Are you afraid? Is it scary to be there? You know, my as you probably as we I think we talked last at least over uh, over the text messages um, or or messaging anyway um, was down in Kyrgyzstan when I had some uh, time off from operations and was was volunteering and I was on the phone actually with Sarah um, Sarah Ashton Cirillo um, and artillery and the Russians started lobbying 152 millimeter artillery which has a kill radius of several hundred meters. You know, it's a giant shell. It's like three, four feet long, 50 pounds of explosive with a casing on it that's fragments um, at the volunteers who were just launching boats in the water to, to save elderly people and, you know, cats and dogs swimming along helplessly. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I think I, I know as a very, very stubborn person, maybe that's the British part of me, that what they want to do is to invoke fear in in people and to have people show fear. So I refuse to show that externally. Um, I, I, I'm fortunate that I'm on a mission that I can truly believe in and it's truly, you know, good versus evil. And, you know, uh, if I ever have a moment of forgetting about what's really at stake, um, then it seems to be there's some war crime that's committed recently in Kramatorsk Scout East, where, where I've also been. Um, you know, you had journalists and kids and babies being, you know, killed by uh, a a cruise missile, okay, launching a completely civilian target. So it's just so constant here to see those things and to see and to get the motivation for um, this is such a right and wrong, black and white issue um, that I, I don't really think of the fear in the moment. Uh, maybe later, after con- you know the conflict subsides a little bit and, and Ukraine was already won, um, I'll think about that. But in the moment, it's it's about the person next to me the fellow soldier completing the mission. And that's what I think about. I refuse out of pure, just stubbornness to give the Russians fear. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, being under artillery fire and so forth is in the moment you're running around and so forth, but it's more for like, let me preserve myself so I can keep fighting effectively more than a, Oh, I'm going to die and I'll never, you know, be able to see my family again. It's just, those aren't thoughts that I've had. And I, I, I just, like, you know, it's just stubbornness, I guess. Are you able to fight for Ukraine? Are you able to use weapons? Can you join the military? I read a bit about it. I read that article about the hedges over in uh, the territory on the east. The, the battle's amazing. I know there are a lot of Americans and other nationalities coming to help. Some of them do various things. What's your role? And if you can tell us, are you part of the fight? Yes, I am a I am a formal member of the Armed Forces of Ukraine. Um, I am in an infantry role type role. Um, we are a uh, we I do offensive tactics. Uh, our, when we're out there, our goal is to stay in constant contact and to be flexible in, in where we need to be used. Um, so uh, yes, I've uh, uh, used weapons uh, just like any infantry soldier. Um, now the process of signing up. You know, Russia tries to say, oh, these people are mercenaries. We are not mercenaries. Um, I, in fact, we had to go through an extensive background check. I had to go through um, a, a extensive health check. Everything from, I mean, it took an entire day to go to, to the office, doctor's office and get the EKG and the urine test and the blood test and everything else. Um, and we have to go through the same background check as, as a regular soldier, sign the same paperwork. 
Um, and you know, that's a month long process. Um, and went to the same processing center as everybody else. So, uh, and we wear a uniform, we wear, we comply to the Geneva convention. So, um, I am a member of that military. Um, with and, with, know, the, with, a, a, with yeah. the chain of command and, uh, with yes, pay, same, same. Uh, pay benefits, do they feed you too? Yeah. So, um, same, yeah, chain of command. Uh, I work alongside Ukrainian soldiers and, um, there are some units that are, you know, more just foreigners. Um, but, um, I, I fight with Ukrainians, uh, primarily and, um, they, they do pay you, you get more pay if you're, uh, on the front, uh, in combat and then you get a base pay, um, you know, as far as, uh, but I provided on my own equipment. I will say that, you know, uh, I could have gotten body armor and all that stuff from the Ukrainian army. I didn't want to be a burden to them. So I spent probably 10 grand, five to 10 grand on uniforms, yeah, body armor, all the things, uh, everything but the weapon. Um, you know, and that's, that's another, it's, it's expensive, you know, a pair of combat pants, you wear in combat, good ones are two fifty, three hundred dollars Um, you know, and you can imagine how much everything else is. So, um, but it is just like any other member of the military. Um, everything's the same. I found you on Twitter where you have an interesting handle. At his goes Cobra. Where'd that name come from? <laughs> because, you know, I'd never been on Twitter before this war, really. And I remember, do you remember where the, in the Bronx, uh, uh, the Bronx Zoo had a Cobra several years ago um, that got out and then somebody created a Twitter account for it? Um, it was like some really poisonous Cobra that had gotten out. And this must have been, I mean, it's could have been up to 10 years ago. It was my only remembering about what Twitter was about because I'd never been on there. And uh, so I said, you know what? I was trying to think of like a, a handle and so many different names are taken. So I said, all I remember is that stupid Cobra that got out and had an account. And he said he was like, I'm at the baseball game and this and that. It was a really funny one. So that's what I, that's where it comes nice. from. Nice. It kind of instills fear like that story does. But uh, you've become prolific on Twitter. And yet Elon Musk runs the thing. That's how I met you. We both stay on there to promote what we want to have to say, but I fear Elon Musk is in bed with Vladimir Putin and Donald J. Trump, and I don't much like it. How about you? Yeah, I am. Um, you know, I. Uh, it's an interesting thing because I'll be honest. I actually voted for Donald Trump uh, in his first election, not his second, and. And but yeah, I mean, uh, I've become. This war has made me a Democrat. I you know, voted all Democrat the last several elections. Um, I presume I will stay a Democrat, um, follow the Lincoln Project, um, love Ron Filipowski on Twitter and his, 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 uh, uh, his commentary. And um, it's uh, what has happened to the Republican Party, so-called Republicans, is uh, it's a real threat to democracy. And, um, you know, I believe, uh, you know, Donald Trump wants to be like Vladimir Putin. He wants to be sort of a you know, a, a dictator in, in that way. Um, and he's just, you know, he's basically, I think he's mentally ill or something. I mean, the, all of the ways that he thinks he can just hand out, you know, those documents that are the subject of the indictment by Jack Smith, um, those are like crown jewel, like nuclear strategy and defense documents. Those are crown jewel documents, not just some stupid overclassified document. Uh, you look at Elon Musk, and I think the voices that he has amplified um, you know, you look at uh, Andrew Tate and Tucker Carlson, you know, right. where, uh, Tucker Carlson interviewed Andrew Tate the other day. Yes. Andrew Tate is under yes. indictment for sex trafficking. OK. Um, and 
he has had his chance to in 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 he's Romania is a, it's a NATO EU country and I know as part of the EU you have to have a a fair court system they actually me- measure that so um he and then Elon Musk amplifies that he's like interesting he's always has this guy David Saxon who's just a crypto I, we call him crypto bros over here um but a crypto guy who just he puts out just fake false news all the time about Ukraine um and, uh, and, and Sachs, Sachs yeah. is backing RFK Jr. with all his vaccine uh, and anti-Ukraine yeah. sentiments. Nobody's more anti-Ukraine than RFK Jr., except several Republicans compete. We'll get to them, but gosh, I think you made a wise choice. And uh, Donald Trump revealed himself. What was your breaking point? For me, Charlottesville was a big one, but... In the news, five years ago, Helsinki, holy cow, if you didn't see a problem after Helsinki, what what are you drinking? Yeah, I, I think it was it was that, and and I think the 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 coziness he had with Vladimir Putin, um the way he was treating people. Um I mean, January sixth came much later, but uh, that obviously bolstered any decision I would have made. I, yeah. I just think that the overall uh when he started comparing himself to Lincoln and Reagan. You know, um, and the fact that he actually believes that uh, is and that he just lies all the time. And, you know, the guy, um, he's just an adult child, but a very dangerous one. You know, he reminds me, remember that movie with Martin Sheen where he held up the baby at the end? Uh, it was Martin Sheen and Christopher Walken. I forget the name of it, but it's for Martin Sheen. And Christopher Walken was a character who could see the future. And he, and he went to shake Martin Sheen's hand as a president. And uh, he saw that he was pressing the nuclear buttons to start a war with Russia in the future. Hmm. And so, uh, and at the end, Martin Sheen lifted up a baby because there was a sniper in the crowd to protect himself using a baby. And that's what Donald Trump, it seems like, feels like to me. And I just, I saw that movie again. I was like, I can't follow this guy anymore. Right. Trump is led around by people with, to me, clear Russian connections like Steve Bannon, Roger Stone, Paul Manafort. He worked for Putin, didn't he? So this isn't hard to put together. And you talk about being disillusioned. You know, former radio partners, my Dan Kaplitz, who claims to be anti-Putin, but he buys the bullshit that Putin wasn't trying to make Donald Trump win in 2016. It all came out. He admitted it at Helsinki. And for people who claim in this kind of threshold that, like Donald Trump, Russia, Russia, Russia. Yeah, that's a confession, man. We know that you laundered Russian money. I mean, don't you see all this now? And doesn't it have implications for the people in Ukraine? Yes, it does. You want to listen. Uh, if you Just listen to John Bolton for five minutes or, or pick up his book or go on YouTube and look at some uh, interviews of the things that John Bolton says about what he witnessed with Donald J. Trump. And uh, but for the grace of God, we did not have a geopolitical catastrophe any more than we already had with him. Um, and if you think about it, uh, the recent Brett Baer interview is a perfect example. He goes through the list of everybody Donald Trump has attacked in his former uh, administration, you know, um, his head of chief of staff. I mean, everybody involved in his, uh, you know, not only the political side, but the uh, international relations and, and uh, diplomacy side. Every There's nobody that's worked with him and, and saw him in action. Uh, that does not think uh, vocally that he's a threat to democracy and, and the world order and 
Uh, and his statements, uh, the absurdity of his statements that he could solve it in 24 hours, that would mean that we are just rewarding a modern day Hitler for um, genocide. And it's it's almost running out of words. I mean, you know, you see one one missile attack against a mall or cluster bombs, another recent issue. He used cluster bombs, you know, at the, the Kramatorsk train station in broad daylight. And manage, imagine Grand Central Station being hit with, you know, hundreds of, of cluster munitions in, you know, in the 1 p.m. In, in the summer. Um, and uh, the fact that he would want to make those concessions to someone like that would be a catastrophe now and going forward. Um, and he's clearly friendly with him. Uh, Victor Orban is another guy in that orbit. You know, Victor Orban and Putin and and Donald Trump are three people who you know uh, each are love each other and probably and probably see each other in the mirror when they look in the morning. Um, and and that's what Donald Trump. He has an authoritarian bent, uh, no respect for the rule of law, uh, and that that's who he wants to emulate. And he absolutely wishes he could you know live in in a lawless uh, situation. Um, you know, just like Vladimir Putin does. And then you just see all the people on on Twitter and other social media, people like Jackson Hinkle and Kim.com. Jackson Hinkle actually posted the other day, uh, the world needs Stalin again. You know, I like, oh my God, who would say something like that? But there's there's an entire um army of of people in the information space who twist the truth and you get a lot of people who are not in america i think people are not sophisticated consumers of of media information um and uh you know they follow people like that so um it's it's a real threat donald trump is a real threat um you know i can guarantee you that his withholding of aid to ukraine and as which was part of his impeachment set ukraine back um you know i to a measurable degree in, in resisting the Russian invasion. So uh, it costs lives. Um, but thank God we have uh, Joseph Biden in, in, in office and in the way that he's put together and really shown his, his foreign policy experience. I mean, this, I hate to think where we'd be without him right now. I could not agree more. The guy has his failings as any man would have after 80 years. But the courage he displayed going to Kiev and his standing by Zelensky Man, you said a lot of smart things about the problems we'll have if Donald Trump gets back power. And you brought up that guy, Hinkle. Gosh, what a warning it was when Putin started venerating Stalin again, right? I mean, that's a guy who thinks Stalin was okay. And when you read Timothy Snyder's book and what Stalin did to Ukraine, what is it about that? Is it like the North and the South in America, you're going to break away from us? The hell you are? Uh, or I don't understand it. Do they consider Ukrainians a lesser form of people? That's why they deserve to be killed? Is it? Is it hey, let me, know, let me it, postulate one other thing that kind of goes through yeah. my mind. Is it like domestic violence where you say to a woman, oh, yeah, you're going to leave me? Well, we'll find out about that. And then the man goes crazy. What's going on here? You know, it's really, I, with respect to, I mean, you come to Kiev and it's a city that's, uh, when I was here and it was on their, uh, the, the birthday of the city uh, where there was um, a ballistic missile attack, meaning a, a high-speed missile with a thousand-pound warhead being shot at Kiev in the middle at 11 a.m. while people and kids are running around. And I saw, you know, 
eight or nine Patriot missiles in the sky, clear as day. You can see the contrails behind them intercepting these missiles in like these loud booms. Uh, on the 1546th birthday of Kiev, it's, you know, it's, it's a very, very old city. It's a very old area um, and a lot of history. But, I, you know, the last couple hundred years, is, it's just been this history of, of uh, this the first the Soviet Union and then Russia using Ukraine is almost like a like it considers it a, a vassal state and its people is uh, belonging like like objects to um, to Russia. And, you know, they built a lot of their uh, most of their domestic production of tanks and artillery and airplanes and so forth took place in Ukraine. Um, and they really just tried to use it. Uh, they used it during, during the uh, uh, Holdemore fa uh, famine. Um, they took, you know, the uh, is all the food from Ukraine and and took it into Russia. Um, and I, you know, now Putin is thinks it's great what would the, what Stalin had in these satellite states. Um, uh, he wants to recreate that. And as far as like the the disrespect for basic decency, uh, you know, putting aside international law, this is, you know, they've kidnapped hundreds of thousands of kids. Um, I've seen entire towns, Izium, um, for example, where you drive through and it is completely flattened and they shoot mines everywhere um, for no reason other than to just be uh, utter and pure meanness. What I mean, the hell gives them the right? How do they justify this? Yeah. There is no justification for it. They have a, the propaganda publicly is first they deny it. And then they say that, you know, like when they invaded in 2014, oh, they're protecting ethnic Russians. So they have this front where they say things um, to try and uh, make it seem like there's some legal justification. Um, but behind that, it is all just it's pure terrorism. That's it. Um, you know, they castrate soldiers. They. Uh, behead people. Uh, you know, when when I say tell people they're worse than ISIS, ISIS is bad. Uh, no disrespect to the ISIS victims, but they're worse than ISIS with the the scope of what they do, and to their own soldiers. They have two hundred thousand casualties. They send people into into battle without medical kits, and they kidnap people off the street. Um, they they take developmentally disabled people out of institutions and, and throw them in battle as into the meat grinder as, as basically as cannon fodder oh, and human shields. Where does this um, barbarism come from? Is it just handed down like DNA and Russians are just more barbaric? Is that fair to say? Or what's going on? Is there mass mental psychosis? Is it that info wars? How do they, I know they call Ukrainians Nazis, uh, but do they claim that these Nazis in Ukraine want to take Moscow too, or what's their thinking? You now, I have some Russian friends at home who are. Uh, I'm thinking of a good friend of mine who's actually married to a Ukrainian woman, and um, and they're all very Russians and American. My experience are very anti-Putin. Um, you know, think about when Russia has had a great civil rights leader. What, what is Russia's uh, Martin Luther King. What is their last democracy? Navalny. Um, what Navalny. Is their... He's in prison. Right. Well, yeah, Navalny's in prison. And then I find out that he actually, uh, there. even with him, he thought Crimea should be part of Russia. But he's definitely better than than Putin and has uh, exposed some things. But even Ukrainians have some issues with him. And I, when I studied it closer, I was like, well, there are, there maybe there are some things there. I mean, you know, so um, there's, there the people... Uh, you look at the reporters, and there was a uh, 
uh, a guy who recently went to prison for 20 years in in Russia uh, mm-hmm. in Russia who uh, I his Hobble. name escapes me at the moment. I, I'm not, he he's been celebrated in the Washington Post. I can't think of his name yes, right yes, now. Yes, yeah, brave, right? Yeah. Oh, Vladimir Kurza, I believe is his name. Okay. Um, yes. And yeah, um, and so. It's just they have a history of having autocrats and uh, from, you know, the czar, then to Lenin, then to Stalin um, and then to, um, you know, the the Cold War and the Soviet Union. Uh, Gorbachev was, again, had some very bad policies, but was, you know, it was it's like being, you know, like, well, uh, it's a little bit worse, a little bit better than the worst, but still pretty bad. And then you go to uh, Yeltsin, uh, who was sort of just a placeholder, then you go to Putin. It's just history. I guess it's just history. There's, um, you know, there seems to be an agreement with the Russian people that, and, and, uh, and Putin that if, if we can ignore the war and you can do whatever you want as long as, and he sort of raised the standard of living a little bit progressively over time. Uh, and it was sort of a devil's devil's bargain, but the sociology behind that, I think it's hard to understand, but it also shows how fragile, you know, democracy is. Right. And, you know, we think, oh, that would never happen in America. And I'm like, and I said to myself, that absolutely, it could happen in America. And that's why, um, you know, and, and the consequences are, are dire. Very, very dire, obviously. It happened, it happened 100 years ago in Denver. The Klan took over in 1922. And uh, the governor was a Klan guy in 24. I think he got elected. Anyway, it was a spasm. And the way it happens, you're a criminology major. I was a prosecutor for 16 years, and I've been in the criminal justice field. Putin is a mob boss, and there's certain appeal to the Klan or the mob, especially when there's crime in the street, and there's a perception that the government's not doing enough. Hey, we'll take care of this. We'll make sure that you get your daily bread, and we'll keep the bastards down, and uh, just trust us. And to me, Putin said, I always ask people, do you think there's a Russian mafia? And most people say yes. And then I say, who do you think is in charge of the Russian mob? And they say Putin, which he is. And I think he's the richest guy in the world. So I think a lot of this about money, territory. And the guy who notices big money people, he loves that, is Donald Trump. He respects big money. He respects mob bosses. Don't you think it's like mob bosses running the world right now or trying to? Yeah, it's just that's exactly how um, uh, it's, uh, I think the word is a uh, kleptocracy. And yes. it's essentially what the, the, the diplomatic cable leaks by WikiLeaks and Julian Assange, who's also aligned with uh, Russia, is, um, you know, it was described as it's a mafia state. And it is, you know, the oligarchs are made by Putin, uh, but they're taken away by Putin as well. Um, and so there's this veneer of it, of it sort of being like a uh, legitimate government and all that, but it is essentially, it's a mafia operation run as a kleptocracy through the government. Um, you know, uh, just, yeah, you know, a lot of this is in, um, Gary Kasparov is, uh, somebody I have a lot of respect for. And he's, yeah. And he's got a good, you know, sort of some good commentary and, and good uh, book on this. And, um, I was with uh, John Sweeney last night who has, you know, um, uh, uh, he's out here, been a big supporter of Ukraine and killer in the, the Kremlin is one of his books. And, um, you know, that's how they describe it. That's absolutely what it is. And when you think about how close January 6th came with the fake elector scheme um, and you had you listen to the Brad Raffensperger recorded phone call with Donald Trump 
Um, th- that was right on the precipice. I mean, that is uh, of of basically stealing an election. Um, and once that happens, you know, or you have the Secret Service, you know, deleting text messages. These are all incipient behaviors that give rise to very quickly uh, what could you know making something like America into a, a mafia state. Um, and it's it's very dangerous, and people need to understand that. Right. It's part of the same fight. It's a little more immediate right now in Ukraine, but I feel like we're battling the forces of autocracy, kleptocracy, through Trump, through Putin, through other people who would uh, seek to benefit themselves over the welfare of the people. They think democracy can't work, especially as white people begin to lose power in America. It's disgusting, but there are people fighting back. This podcast is part of fighting back, and... John, you fight on two fronts, right? You're over there in the physical fight in Ukraine. God bless your courage. But really, it's the media war that you spend like 24-7 trying to participate in, calling people out, trying to give truthful information, coming on podcasts like this. Why is that so important? You know, because Russia, number one, because I I think since in the social media age, people have not become, have, have lost the... A refinement and ability to become sophisticated consumers of information. Um, people watch the news not to uh, get the news, but to reaffirm their own beliefs. Um, there, if you saw from the Fox News uh, Dominion settlement and some of the, the Tucker Carlson, uh, you know, testimony or in text messages, at least that came out, it, you know, these people who go on the uh, outlets like Fox News and, and claim to be objective news people. Uh, and, and in fact, what's going on is uh, they're just trying to cultivate an audience, even if they're lying to them. They don't care. They just want money. They just want power. They just want recognition. Um, and and so it's very, very important for people to um, understand that, uh, you know, be, be go to get a balanced perspective and go to not just, you know, something that agrees with their political beliefs, but see the other side and, you know, and see if they support it with facts and you know, it's uh, the, I think the also the media industry going from sort of the papers, uh, the large newspapers to, you know, quote, influencers on social media. Um, and there's a, a huge loss of like sort of professionalism and ethics and standards. Those people really don't have them because they're not part of that sort of journalist world. And yet they have a much greater reach uh, because of the technology of, of social media and, and the dying off of, of, you know, large journalistic outlets. Um and the death of the daily paper, basically switching to online. So, um, you know, you've got people going to podcasts like Joe Rogan to watch RFK and, and, and thinking that the absolute ridiculous lies that he says left and right. Um, yeah, things like, you know, Wi-Fi causes asthma and it's just crazy stuff like that. Um, you know, people these days don't understand, I think, that uh, what's happened in the media landscape and, and they're pawns in this game of being lied to for money uh in, in the media industry and um it's very important uh, and you saw it recently look at the the cluster bombs right so I, I visited uh you know and helped with uh, some of the um uh deal with congress and write some uh some documents uh, for uh that the purpose of helping ukraine to get cluster munitions look at how many people came out against cluster munitions for ukraine to use them on their own territory in self-defense, by the way, the Russians could just leave and they wouldn't have to use them. 
so that there won't be thousands of you know Ukrainian soldiers dying to have to storm trenches because we needed to clear trenches because Russia invaded. And just like it was baffling to see, you know, people on the very, very far right in the in the right and then people on the very, very like ultra far left. I don't know if I'd call Code Pink far left. They just seem to be on their own planet. But um, you see all the agendas and so forth. And it's it's amazing on Twitter. It's like an expose of like everybody's agenda. Um you know, Cornell West saying, you know, Ukraine are war criminals and things like that. I mean, I respect for his work on, on racial issues very much, but, um, you know, and, and politicians are doing this too. I mean, just like the media, they're positioning themselves for power um, and, and not really taking principled stands. We've got politicians that are afraid to lose for principle these days. And, um, you know, maybe it's always been like that, but it's it's worse now. And, you know, understand that's the environment. The environment is virtually... To use a bad analogy, I guess it's like a minefield. If you are a person, you can be a potential follower of somebody on social media. Uh, you can be somebody who who helps sell broad uh, advertisements on, um, you know, Fox News on TV, whatever, whatever it may be. You're a commodity, and there are people. You, it's okay to lie to you. It's okay to uh, try to use you and your opinion uh, in order to uh, cultivate a following and an audience. And, and understand that you're the, you're the subject of that. And Russia has uh, lots of people um, who who manipulate and push things. It's a, there's a there's I, I did the depth. It's like an iceberg. You only see the the top, but most of it's underneath. That's sort of like the, what the media and information space is like. Um, what you see on the surface, there's a whole Russian operation underneath that. Um, there's a whole disinformation operation underneath that. There's a whole operation of people trying to make money lying to you underneath that. Um, and, and so just, I think people need to try to, as best I can understand that and, um, take a little extra time to make sure that if they're going to form a strong opinion and vote on it, that it's, it's based on, you know, a good analysis and looking at the facts. I've read enough to know that Vladimir Putin has been cultivating Donald J. Trump for a long time. And he claimed he had no involvement with Russia while Russia was trying to help him, Prigozhin running that internet research network out of Leningrad, all those things um, has come out. Even the Senate found that to be so. And Putin has an asset in Donald J. Trump, and Trump has turned the GOP into an anti-Ukraine, pro-Putin party. It's unbelievable. Acolytes like Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Matt Gates, others, now, I know that most Republicans still are voting for Ukraine, but the major two uh, contenders to be president on the GOP side, Ron DeSantis and Donald J. Trump, Ukraine can't count on either of those guys. What did he do to your GOP, the one you voted for back in the day? Well, you know, um, yeah, like, how did we get from, you know, tear down this wall by Ronald Reagan? Uh, to where we are now, where, you know, most of the GOP candidates are, uh, you know, not in favor of Ukraine or, or, or strongly anti-Ukraine. It is, you know, and this is where we're at. Um, it is, you always ask myself, where did the far MAGA right come from? Is it people that didn't vote before? Um, and, and I still haven't really figured that out. But what is clear to me, and if you listen to the Lincoln Project and are absolutely right, is that we have to be willing uh, for those people who have legit, legitimate, you know, normal sort of conservative views on maybe fiscal policy and what used to be foreign policy, strong, you know, strong in favor of countries like Ukraine. 
You have to be willing to vote Democrat. Now, I, I just changed to Democrat. I'm not voting. You know, I used to vote out of spite. Now I'm, I'm just a, I'm just a Democrat now, pretty much. And, um, you know, and it's uh, I, I don't know how exactly, you know, the 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 process went. But um, I know that at this point, he look, go to these you see these David Packman show, for example, you go watch that. And here's a you have interviews of people at these Trump rallies and, and they think things are just it's just crazy things, you know, like in these are not mentally ill people, but they are just choosing to believe for reasons I cannot understand for that. Anthony Fauci is, you know, he's in Guantanamo and Joe Biden is uh, not really the president, which is funny because when you, when you ask these people who believe these crazy things, well, if Joe Biden's president is not president and he's just a figurehead and actually Donald Trump is president, then why does Donald Trump need to reverse the 2020 election? And then like, these are like dumbfounded and they just walk off. But uh, I don't know exactly how he did it per se, uh, but uh, it's absolutely clear what has happened. And um, it is so dangerous. And, um, you know, and, and the fact that Ron DeSantis is, which, by the way, that guy, I, he is, uh, I've never seen somebody whose smile looks so contrived. And um, he just has the most constipated smile I've ever seen. And <laughs> forgive me for saying that, but, um, you know, they, they just want to get elected. It's just about power. And, uh, you know, Thankfully, Chris Christie has finally come out and said some things. But, you know, the the ability of people to have uh, principle on the right, um, you know, is is, is pretty narrow. And uh, I think in the Senate, maybe the Republicans are a little bit better. But but still, you know, they're they're still pandering and they just have to be willing to lose, uh, you know, and just say, we're not going to do this. And if I lose the election, fine, I don't care. You know, it's America's more important than this, their individual power. Um where how how we got to this point is is I mean obviously Trump drove that bus but um, I can tell you the way out of it is is they need to be willing to lose Republicans have to vote Democrat and uh, you know the greatest thing that changes elections or changes parties is losing and that's that's going to be the greatest teacher and that's the only we can do it and if people aren't willing to do that well they're going to get the government they deserve at least on the right right they need to get stopped and so many people could been could have been a hero. And gosh, you hit a nerve with that Ukrainian shakedown, the first impeachment. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I realized right there that if Trump got away with that, using our money to extort political favors from a foreign head of state, Zelensky showed great courage there. And then when he started with that big lie, it started, I heard it on Dan Kaplan's show, Jenna Ellis came on. The week after the election, stopped the steal. There's been a lot of fraud. I texted Dan. I said, don't go there. This could destroy everything. You don't realize. And so maybe you can just expand on that. The Ukrainian shakedown, the long-term implications of that, and the big lie, what, what that has done to democracy and why we have a, a big battle on the home front that needs to be resolved by Jack Smith. I wrote my last column about my hope in Jack Smith through podcasts, through following his prosecution as close as I can. Just launch off of that, if you would, John, because uh, I think you and I feel the same way. Well, I mean, look at someone like Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake Ugh. is 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 the she. Someone like her, you know, ten twenty years ago would have no existence, right? She, the reason she can exist and have that following and entangle up, you know, Arizona politics is precisely because of someone like Donald Trump. Uh, and, and that's, you know, and she is someone who just lies and lies and lies and does it so uh, easily. 
um, that I don't even know if she knows when she's telling the truth or lying anymore. And, um, you know, there's the, the stop the steal thing. I mean, you're calling into question, um, the, what has been, uh, you know, we are the standard bearer for the world. We have fair elections in this country, period. You know, there's some gerrymandering. Uh, and it, by the way, if they're unfair, they're probably more unfair by far for minorities and people on the left than they are for the right. Um, and when you start to call in, into question the democratic process and the peaceful transfer of power, it's not just it's affecting America, but it makes every other autocrat in the world and every despot and every dictator, you know, they can say, look, look at America. Like, you know, uh, even there, they were they, there. They were stealing elections and and so forth. And then you have people, you know, everyone has a personal responsibility to to look past when somebody says, oh, the election was stolen and say, you know, really, that's something automatically should be very skeptical about. But, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who who believe that. And, you know, there's a. um a responsibility by politicians not not to do things like that but uh, unfortunately they do that as we saw with donald trump and it, it's actually like a party platform now that just lie about the election um and uh, and i'm looking forward to the you know the the civil judgments in the uh the defamation cases against you know that are brought by dominion and, and others um we already saw one domino fall with with fox news and that settlement you know obviously those cases can take many years and and um in the civil world but um, and then Jack Smith, you know, I, I believe that he's um, going to bring another prosecution, it looks like, for documents that were moved from uh, Mar-a-Lago to, uh, you know, Bedminster, New Jersey. Um, and then the January 6th prosecution. There's there's going to be prosecutions for that. And I'm also I've always been closely watching the, the Atlanta um, uh, district attorney's uh, prosecution Wallace. because. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th that tape that he that recording of him, you know, yes. trying to get Raffensperger to change votes. I, you know, um, the process is slow in the justice system because we have the fairest in the world. So hopefully um, I don't see how he escapes prosecution. I don't see how he escapes. He deserves to be in prison for the rest of his life. Anybody else would. Now you're in my territory. Here's how he escapes prosecution. He continues the cases. He keeps continuing. And then he hopes that he wins because when he wins, they will all go away. At least the federal cases will go away because he'll be in charge of the Justice Department, uh, more or less. And then the state prosecutions, who knows what will happen at that point. I, I think the country is lost if Donald Trump is reelected, and uh, it's a frightening prospect. And Jack Smith, as great as he is, I don't think he can bring anything to trial before the election. And that's a problem, but he can bring facts to bear, and maybe he can find a judge who will move things along. But look at Eileen Cannon on the classified documents case. I can tell you as a lawyer, she doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't want to rule against Donald Trump. She doesn't want to be the judge who has to sentence him to prison. So what can she do? She can give every continuance in the world. Now, she'll probably set it on July 18th, for a reasonable time, maybe in January, maybe in February, March, or April, but that's the first setting. Believe me, that can be continued, and it will be. It's left to the sound discretion of the trial court, and I just don't see the courts rescuing us now. But I do see some brave people who have stood up to Donald Trump, and one of them is Jack Smith. You know who he looks like? 
To me, he looks like John Jackson. Don't you think you kind of look like oh, him? <laughs> and, 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 yeah, and, no, I, I've had people say that, and uh, that's definitely an honor because he, he, you know, he was a war crimes prosecutor, and right. um, you know, over here we have war crimes every single day. So, uh, no, that's um, if there's anybody, what a great pick to to prosecute Donald Trump. And yeah, you you bring up a great point. If he gets in power and he pardons himself, and you know, I mean. God, I, people, come on! Do not vote for somebody who is. I, I whatever your beliefs are uh, politically, I do not vote for someone who's a convicted uh, sexual abuser. Right. Uh, someone who is uh, not convicted. I'm sorry, he was found civilly liable, and, and um, you know, again, but still a jury trial in New York where he's from. Um, someone who is under multiple indictments, who admitted on tape. I mean, if you want. Just oh, listen to the Brett Baer interview. Brett Baer made mistakes with respect to Fox News in January 6th, but, you know, he did a lot of good in that interview. Yes. Probably the best interview of Trump I've ever seen, you know. Um, and if you just go back and listen to that, people, and, and you'll see who Donald Trump is. Listen to him talking. We're shuffling around crown jewel documents. Um, I can tell you with my knowledge of the intelligence world, the documents that Donald Trump was just passing out and, and talking about openly are the kinds of things that this that the people in the CIA died for in some far off jungle um, and and whose family will never see them again. Their bodies may not have been recovered. I mean, you know, it was a Cold War. Lots of people died to, to bring the foundations of of what led to our nuclear strategy and, and our intelligence, uh, you know, classified information that we have. You know, they didn't they didn't it wasn't developed overnight. It was many, many years and many, many people dying and sacrificing and um and for that and um you know if you listen to that audio recording of donald trump and 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 listen to the interview of brett bear i most i would hope fair-minded americans and i will remain optimistic on um, as i can um will not want to vote for someone like donald trump because if he gets back in power and he pardons himself then you you're getting pretty close to vladimir putin territory in my opinion absolutely and uh, at least you're well-traveled, and you have some South African heritage. Have you really gone so far as to think of an alternate place to live for you and your kids? You know, um, I Ukraine is um, it's a beautiful place in the standard of the cost of living here. You know, it's interesting. You go into a restaurant in Kiev, uh, and it looks just as nice as like somewhere like Sushi Den in Denver, but it's one-fourth the cost. Um, you know, everything is so much cheaper here and you look at, it's a sort of a young, vibrant democracy. Um, they really fought for it in the orange revolution and then the, in the maiden uprising in 2014. Um, there's a great documentary that's free on YouTube. It's a Netflix. It's called winter on fire. Um, I recommend that to anyone. Um, it's called winter on fire. And, um, and then, and these are people who love democracy. It's a, a pretty young focused, uh, you know, there's. Uh, you see a lot of younger people out here and uh, young professionals and so forth. And, you know, they really fought for it. And, and if you look at how Russia was stopped in the early days, it was people like farmers and lawyers and mayors and, you know, sometimes elderly women, you know, calling in artillery, you know, yes. calling the, the, the armed forces of Ukraine to do an artillery strike and seen a lot of that. So this is a country with a lot of potential. They have uh, an amazing, amazing, beautiful country with, um, you know, you have the rich farmland, but you have industry. Their tech, as you've seen with the drone warfare, is is off the charts. Um, and also, if when they get back Crimea, they, you know, they will have the Black Sea is beautiful. Odessa is beautiful. And, and I will admit I didn't know much about this country before 2022 or 2021. But, um, you know, it's definitely a place I would consider consider being because it's um, 
you know, uh, it's a place that loves democracy and they're really trying to become more and more progressive uh, as time goes on. I will tell you just to, to point one thing out, you know, Sarah Ashton Cirillo, who's a, um, a member of the armed forces of Ukraine, a brave soldier who's um, are, who was wounded in combat and has been on the trenches. I visited her in Kharkiv when she was in the trenches um, is, uh, you know, she's transgender. Um, and she is, will tell you that there's basically no, dis, no discrimination here and nobody says anything about it. She's the face of their media enterprise for the armed forces of Ukraine. Um, and, um, it's, it's a country that respects those things. It wants to be part modern and wants to be part of the European Union. And, uh, and, uh, they're fighting for those principles of, of democracy and, and, and progressive values uh, now. So definitely, play, I would definitely consider it. Um, and, um, you know, this country gets more and more in my bones every day. Yeah, and you probably grandfathered in once you fight for them. I found out my maternal great-grandmother was born in Kiev, so I got that going for me. But the thing I love about Ukraine is its leader, Volodymyr Zelensky. And, gosh, the media machine, uh, you know, the Alex Jones, Marjorie Taylor Greene, even the... Ted Cruz types cast innuendos on this guy, even like Sandy Hook. You know, he's a crisis actor. He's not a real guy. Yeah, the guy was an actor, just like Ronald Reagan. He also was an attorney. He's a fascinating individual. Putin never thought he had the courage to stand up to him. But this little Jewish guy has turned into one of the greatest world leaders ever, seems to have the respect of Joe Biden and the Western world. How do you feel about uh, Zelensky. Let me give people a little an a little anecdote uh, about Vladimir Zelensky and how brave he is. Okay, I have seen places he's visited, and he goes right close to the front lines. Um, if anything, he's a little bit too uh, a little bit too brave for for my uh, for my liking, because I you know he's very important. We um, and but he is um he is the real deal uh, i've heard so stories from soldiers where he will go be driving to the front lines he'll pop into a, a gas station because out here there are gas stations they like they have like food and everything else a little different from american gas stations it's sort of a food and coffee place in addition to a, a gas station um he has popped in without security two coffee places stood around and you know be shooting the breeze with with civilians and other soldiers and just get back in his car and drive off and this is like you know within the last year many many times um, the guy is, uh, you know, in, he's incredibly brave. He's the real deal. There is no propaganda about him because there's no propaganda that can, um, say he's braver than he actually is. Uh, people I trust and that don't lie about anything, uh, have witnessed this before. And, um, you know, he is a fundamentally, uh, just a very good person. Um, you know, he is, uh, led this country and he did not leave and he was not going to leave. And, you know, don't mess with those actors that become, um, you know, become politicians because the two that come to mind, as you said, Ronald Reagan and Vladimir Zelensky, um, you know, it was, and Putin certainly underestimated him, but um, what a strong leader and um, the, the stress he must be under and the things he must have seen and the, the mass graves and so forth and everything he's under every single day. Um, it, it's, it's exceptional. Um, I took, you know, as part of the armed forces of Ukraine, an oath to to support their laws and the constitution. And I will tell you that oath said, and to support the Geneva Convention and to comply with international law. Um, it was very strict about, you know, we only fight this war legally and lawfully. Um, and, um, you know, if I could fight for any wartime leader, that's, 
Uh, I, I'm happy to fight for him. I consider it a privilege to be here. Again, I try to be as humble as possible. Don't call me a hero. I, I'm, I, I know people try to be nice, but sometimes they'll say, yo, you're a hero. I'm like, I have all my limbs. I'm not dead. I'm just a guy trying to contribute the best I can with full humility. Um, it's an honor to be here. It's a privilege to be here. And uh, to fight under a leader like that is um, it's, it's an incredible, surreal experience. What a privilege it is to have you on our show. If you could, if you would, can you be our man in Ukraine? Because this podcast is very interested in it. And I'm flattered that you listen every week. I hope that I bring you a little touch of Colorado. What other podcasts and media do you follow uh, in our last moments together? Tell us how you keep in touch with the home front. So, um, you know, I have become pretty enmeshed over here. I listen to to your podcast and um, I, um, I think... Uh, I will say, you know, the Telegraph, which is a British uh, podcast, this is available on, on Apple Podcasts. They do have a very good daily um, Ukraine podcast that's that's good to sort of focus just on Ukraine. Um, I would love to be the person in Ukraine uh, for you. And, uh, you know, uh, we can find a way to, to regularly uh, to come on and because things are ever evolving and they're changing a lot. And um, so, yeah, that would, that would be an honor, too. And as far as podcast, uh, you're the, the the only really connection to home other than, you know, there's a, uh, a mag uncovered, I think is one of the podcasts, but other than you and most of the, all pretty much as much as I can, or, and here and there mag uncovered, which is the one that Ron Filipowski's on for. Um, but, uh, I don't think touches on as well in the issues as, as, as your show does to my liking. Um, I, I really don't stay in touch as much with, with the home front, uh, other than the nuggets. And that's why it was great to all the the great guests that you had on for that um so um really uh it's you and ukraine podcast that's that's what i do and, and i'd be happy to and maybe i can have a little connection now by uh, coming on 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 a, on a basis that when things are changing here because they're ever fluid this is just the first of many visits but it requires you to stay safe you are our man in ukraine john jackson follow him on twitter at his goes cobra you can find all this other information the guy is prolific and he's putting his life on the line. John, thanks so much. Stay safe and uh, Slava Ukraine. Hello, Slava, and thank you so much, Craig, for your interest. And uh, look forward to, to talking to you again soon. And uh, you know, uh, God bless Ukraine and God bless the, the cause of freedom and uh, and and thank NATO and uh, you know the United States and Joe Biden for their uh, supporting uh, democracy here. Have a good day. So stipulated. Bye, my friend. Thank you. All right, take care. Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can 
dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Hey, ain't that John Jackson something? Follow him on Twitter. His goes Cobra. He's a good follow. He'll give you the latest skinny on what's going on in this important war. Putin needs to lose and fast. Biden needs to win and soon. Gosh, I wish the GOP would defeat Donald Trump. I don't want it coming down to Donald Trump one election away from the Oval Office. This is the time of our lives. Thanks for listening. Until next Saturday, tell a friend. Please subscribe. I'd love five stars on Apple. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.